Matt, you're you're here for the RHR intro. You haven't been here for one ever, I don't think. This is this is special. I, I mean, I definitely used to be when we did them in person all the time. No, because I would record the ads after you left. Not necessarily. No. Sometimes I, you don't remember. We would like sit down, and then you would do them right next to me. Oh yeah, in your tiny studio apartment in Brooklyn that we would call the studio. Okay. But it was just your, <laughs> it was your bedroom. Well, this is the intro to rip two oh seven. Two oh seven? Ron Burgundying right now? Is it two oh seven? I think so. Yes. Good rip. A lot going on. What do you, what do you have to say to the freaks? The first intro you've been in, in a while. Stay on one stack sats. Enjoy it. <laughs> This room is brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital is here to help you eliminate single points of failure in your custody model. They're also here uh, to prove that what they're building is probably preferable uh, when you compare Unchained to everything that's going on in the market right now, Celsius, BlockFi, other centralized lenders, and third-party custodians who represent single points of failure and the risks that they take. Uh, really highlights why what Unchained is doing is extremely important and uh, valuable for uh, their clients, their end users. They leverage multi-sig in everything that they do is the base of their company and the products that they make. They have a multi-sig vault, which is a two or three multi-sig wallet where you hold two keys. Unchained holds one key. You always have control of your Bitcoin as long as you have your two keys. Uh, this is Extremely important to eliminate single points of failure and cut uh, centralized third parties out of your custody model. Leave your coins on Celsius, Coinbase, BlockFi. You can find it's hard to get them off. Impossible to get them off. Something happens. Single points of failure. Eliminate them. Call the unchained.com concierge team. Don't call and go to the website. Unchained.com slash concierge. Tell them the TFTC sent you. They're going to take care of you. They're going to take good care of you. This room is also brought to you by good friends at Brains. If you're listening to this on Thursday, June 30th, 2022, I'm going to have Edward Evenson on tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Central. Part of the Brains team. What are Ed and the Brains team doing? They're trying to prevent you from being a fucking idiot. They make products that idiot-proof your, your ASIC setup. Particularly with Brains OS Plus auto-tuning firmware, which allows you to stack more sets because you can produce more hash with your ASICs. Don't be an idiot. If you have an ASIC that's compatible with Brains OS Plus firmware and you're not using it, and you're leaving sats on the table, and you're potentially not making it so your ASIC can live out a longer life. That's what idiots do. Don't be an idiot. Go to brains.com, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. Check out everything they have going on. Go to the Brains OS Plus page. See what ASICs are compatible with the firmware. If yours is compatible with the fir firmware, idiot-proof yourself and download it. Stack more sets. They have insights.brains.com, your one-stop shop for all the data you need on the mining the industry uh, on the network, 
profitability cal calculators, cost calculators, all that good stuff. Brains, B-R-A-I-I-N-S, dot com. This rip was also brought to you by our good friends at Hoddle Hoddle. Hoddle Hoddle is here. Again, another company building Bitcoin-only products the right way by leveraging Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties. This really comes out in their lending platform. It's a peer-to-peer non-custodial loan platform where borrowers are left in control of your Bitcoins in escrow. Okay, without a middle party or any collateral rehypothecation. You put your Bitcoin up as collateral in a two or three multi-sig escrow account. You hold a key. Your counterparty in the loan holds a key and Hoddle Hoddle holds the third key. You have visibility into that wallet throughout the duration of the loan so that you know that your sats are not being rehypothecated as we're learning over the last few months. Centralized lenders that do not provide this model are rehypothecating your Bitcoin and putting it at severe risk. Hoddle Hoddle in their lending platform, no KYC, no AML, leverages Bitcoin's multi-sig properties so that you have the confidence that your sats are not being rehypothecated. And if you pay back your loan plus the interest, you're going to get them back at the end of the day. Go to lend.hodlhodl.com. You're going to deal directly with other users. You're going to control your collateral. They don't touch your Bitcoin and they don't verify anything. No KYC, no AML. Building the circular economy for Bitcoiners. This rip was also brought to you by good friends at Upstream Data. Uncle Marty's been fucking up, freaks. I try not to fuck up. I'm fallible. I'm human. Just, just this, just the son of God. I fucked up the last few reads. Actually, since Upstream came on, I've been saying you're going to get five percent off the bundles of black boxes and ASICs, but you're only going to get five percent off black box the asics are already uh they're getting really good prices on the asics so like the black box use the code freaks you're gonna get five percent off what the hell is the black box uncle marty this is my first time listening to this i just came in heard about you through the grapevine don't know much about bitcoin what is this black box you speak of and who is upstream data i'll tell you upstream data ogs in the off-grid mining space focused on making it so whether you're an individual once the mine at home without too much noise and too much heat, you can do so. That's what the black box is for. If you want to mine at home, Upstream has built this black box, which is incredible. One of the big things with ASICs that really drives people to have hard conversations and fights with their wives when they want to mine Bitcoin at home is the noise, the noise. <laughs> Honey, what, it, it won't stop. It's too loud. I know you're stacking sets. You're using brains and not being an idiot, but it's fucking loud. I can't live like this. It's going to drive me insane. Steve Barber and crew said, hey, we don't want to drive your wife insane. Let's build a black box. You put your ASICs in there. Shut the, shut the top. We're going to take care of your noise. It goes from a to a Pretty incredible. Want to check out the black box and get 5% off the box using the code freaks. Go to upstreamdata.ca. That's not the only thing they built too. This ad's getting a little bit long, but <clears throat> again, OGs, Steve Barber, godfather of off-grid natural gas mining. His hash huts 
and the generators that come with them are incredible products. I am a user myself. I have a hash hut and an upstream generator. It's been running flawlessly uh, since I bought it. The only downtime I've had is to change the oil on the generator. And I'm using a 50 kilowatt hash hut. However, they build bigger hash huts up to 900 kilowatts. And whether you're upstream on the well pad or your utility company looking to leverage some excess electricity at your utility site, upstream is here to build the infrastructure for you. Go to upstreamdata.ca. And if you fill out the form to connect with their client services team, tell them the TFTC sent you. If you're an at-home miner, go from to save your marriage. Enjoy this rip. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Probably should be. Matt, are you, are you ready for the liberal world order? It's coming. It's here. I, you, you and me live in completely different worlds. <laughs> what do you mean? Liberal world order's here. That's why. That's why you have to put up these high gas prices. It's for the liberal. I don't world. know. You like keep you keep track of like random mainstream media news uh, gaffes and clips and stuff, and base your life on those. And I just ignore them. Well, that's the uh, the title of this week's episode is the liberal uh, world order is okay, here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to. Yeah, I know. I don't really. I just get the clips and. Remember when Rabbit Hole used to be a big show? No, it is. It still is a Bitcoin show. Oh, we were just talking. You forgot uh, probably one of the coolest Bitcoin stories of the week. I had to put it on the list. I'm not going to... Maybe when we get to it, I'll, I'll call it out. Tabsteiner demo. Yes, yeah. And Rodolfo even reached out to you to put it on the list. You forgot. I, Rodolfo, you don't even have to remind me. I just knew, hey, Tabsteiner demo's out. We're going to talk about it. Did you not but, tag me in the RHR stream? Oh, there we go. Retweet. I, for, I, found I forgot this. I forgot to set the tweet. Marty's in uh, Marty's in Jersey at the Jersey Shore for good old times. You know, well, we, uh, we had like what a year and a half of rips while you were doing it on that porch. Yeah, this porch and right above me in my father-in-law's bedroom. Um, year, two years, March. Uh, yeah, a year and a half. Yeah. He's using the bedroom right now. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if he's up there. We just came. I feel in like that would have been good for nostalgia's sake. Yeah, just well, kick him out of the bedroom. Screen. Be like, I need to. I need to record in your bedroom. Sorry, Dream sir. I gave you grandchildren. Uh, gave you two grandchildren. Moved your moved your daughter across Texas. Get out of your room. I need to record RHR. It's important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Yeah, I mean, to set the, the tone of the, <laughs> the liberal world order is here. This is, all right, Carl, let's start with that that clip and we'll go into it because I, I do. We're going to start um, with that fucking clip? Yeah, let's start because I think it sets that the tone. That shouldn't even be part of the show. Okay, continue. It sets the tone set the because tone. there's a, a lot of the macroeconomic uh, news that we're going to talk about 
uh, really, I think it's seeded in um, in this this theme that that uh, this guy was talking about. He's like Biden's economic advisor or something like that. Ex BlackRock, by the way. Car, do you have the uh, the clip? No, it's not that one. Um, that's a different non-Bitcoin story that we're covering this week. Courtesy well, that's of Marty. A, that's, a, that's an important one to liberal orders here. Here, Car. Um, Yeah, so enjoy the high gas prices, the high food prices, and the economic uncertainty as we potentially head into a recession. Many are saying potentially even a, a depression. It's for the the liberal world order. We need to um, stand up against all the illiberal people in the world. Um, and again. This is going to be the theme of the episode because I think a lot of these macroeconomic topics that we have on the list will tie back to it. We are going to start, as we always do, with Bitcoin, with Clark Moody's dashboard. Went to lunch. We pumped over 21,000. We're sitting at 21,380 cuck bucks, according to Clark's dashboard. Sats per dollar, 4,677 sats per cuck buck. The market cap of Bitcoin right now is $408.1 billion. Dollars. We're at block height seven hundred forty-four thousand thirty-three. Got a thirty-three in the block today. We are. We had a difficulty adjustment yesterday. A lot of fluctuation of hash rate during that epoch. If you f- remember two rabbit hole recaps ago, uh, the initial estimate for the difficulty adjustment we had yesterday was like two and a half percent last week when we recorded it was actually going to be an upward difficulty adjustment but yesterday when the difficulty epoch ended we actually had a negative uh adjustment downwards 1.4 percent blocks were coming in at 10 minutes of four seconds on average we are currently 1887 blocks away from the next Difficulty adjustment, which is estimated to be on the 20th, which is 13 days from now, so a week from next Wednesday. Uh, obviously, there's not a lot of uh, good block data in this epoch yet. We're only 126 blocks away, so it's not a lot of data currently. It's looking like we'll have a 14.1% upward adjustment Uh do not take that too hard, though. We're currently 4,343 yeah, 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 4, transactions in Clark's mempool. I've been following the slush pool bot, Telegram, and Twitter, because uh, that's where I mine. Uh, there's been a lot of a good fee revenue the last few days on the blocks. I've seen a lot of... Our boy, our boy Ty sets that uh, Telegram channel's notifications to the cash register sound. He does. It's that's uh, very smart, Ty. Uh, you know, you're making that's the best part about that notification when you get the slush pool Telegram notification. It's like, hey, I just stacked some sets passively there. Um, there are currently four thousand eight hundred forty point six three Bitcoin new all time high, new all time high on the new show. Pool. I believe. If any of you freaks are there, um, 
uh, like we said last week, we'd, we'd like to get some some crowdsource like uh, data tracking here for us, particularly around Whirlpool. I believe it's a new all time high. It's absolutely uh, a new all time high. Period. Not even it? just on rabbit hole. Let's go. New all time high. Samurai Whirlpool. So yeah, there we are. Uh, been a crazy week in Bitcoin as well as outside of Bitcoin. I mean, yesterday we had Voyager file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in New York City. Uh, there's been a bit more clarity with the BlockFi situation since we last met. Obviously, we had that breaking news last week that turned out to, to be not so... Uh, I don't know about that. It, I mean, $25 million. I mean, they said... They said, so, okay, let's jump into it. They, FTX they, they, has the ability to purchase it up to $240 million, so they could. So they're providing $400 million credit line to BlockFi from FTX, and they have the ability to purchase it for up to $240 million, whatever the fucking up to $240 million means. So the difference between, for my eyes, the difference between this and the CNBC article is they did the PR spin on this article. Yeah, the highest FTX will have to pay <laughs> is $240 million. Uh, if they do pay that much, they could potentially buy it for $25 million. What do you think? This is a bit of an odd deal. I've never seen a deal structured this way where like, FTX has the potential to buy BlockFi at some point in the medium term. Like, uh, uh, like is BlockFi All still- All I know is if FTX, if FTX can... If, if, if FTX has an avenue to buy BlockFi for super cheap, they're going to fucking do it. So it all seems just like PR bullshit to me. Yeah. I mean, FTX has come out in the last week, so they have $2 billion to backstop the contagion in these markets. They're looking to buy up a lot of these lending platforms. They've talked publicly about mining as well. Uh, this whole situation of FTX stepping in and scooping up a lot of assets in the space honestly makes me feel a bit uneasy. I don't trust Sam Bankman Fried and FTX that much. Uh, I don't think they're very well intentioned, particularly when it comes to Bitcoin specifically. Obviously, we mentioned it last week, but Sam has publicly stated that he is not a fan of proof of work and favors proof of stake blockchains. And so the notion of SBF and FTX scooping up a lot of Bitcoin companies or Bitcoin related companies, more importantly, Bitcoin mining companies. Didn't he come out and say he's not interested in miners? It was just uh, like reported out of context. I'm not sure. I didn't catch that. Maybe he did. I was not aware of that. I mean, I doubt he does any kind of money deals, but maybe he does. He sits on the board of Genesis Mining, which is one of the biggest miners in the world, which is interesting. So we shall see. Recorded uh, an episode with Edward Evenson from Brains last week, last Friday after RHR. A very dense episode if you're interested in an update on the landscape of the mining industry, what's going on with ASIC prices, what the geographic distribution of mining is looking like. Uh, we talked about cool immersion systems and uh, the three nanometer chips and other cooling tech that is out there. Very dense episode with Edward. Uh, if you haven't checked that out and you want to learn more about mining or the state of the mining industry, 
uh, go check it out. Uh, he said that conservatively, he believes that 15% of hash rate is, or excuse me, 10% conservatively of hash rate is in China. He wouldn't be surprised if it's like closer to 20% though. So all those estimates out there, they're saying that there's 0% hash rate in China are patently false. Well, wasn't the main one Cambridge and they came out and said it was 20 or something? They like redid it? Did they? I'm not sure. I know they Cambridge came out was the big zero. one that said zero, and then they changed it, and it was somewhere between ten to twenty percent. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that Cambridge methodology. Oh, there's a lot. Yeah, of I mean it's mostly a guessing game. Mostly a guessing yeah. game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the mining mining industry still. Been precarious. I mean, we had we had news this week of Core Scientific, which is one of the largest miners in the world, potentially the largest miner in the world. They sold, I believe, seventy five percent of their Bitcoin stash um, in the beginning of June. Uh, how much? I didn't. I didn't realize Hive was so much bigger than them. Hive is bigger than them from a public markets, from a hash rate perspective or a valuation perspective. Hive released a report uh, today that they said they mined 278 Bitcoin in June. And in that core scientific report, didn't they say that they only are averaging 40 Bitcoin a month? I thought, no, I think. Last I checked, core was printing like 30 Bitcoin a day. Uh Oh, maybe that's it per day. Not per yeah. month, and that's where I fucked it up. Yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah. I was really confused. Yeah, thirty-six point nine Bitcoin per day. Um, there you go. I I connected them the wrong way. Yeah. Um, no, it was interesting. You mentioned Hive too. Um, Hive doesn't only mine Bitcoin. I believe they mine others. So if you look at their quarterly report, they have mine ETH too, at the very least. Yeah, and their 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 financials say uh, they they hold um, Bitcoin and Bitcoin equivalents, which is uh, the altcoins that they mine as well. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think many were shocked by the core news specifically, uh, having been around for so long and selling uh, where they did in June at relatively low price levels, um, uh, higher to, than the current price level. Yeah. There's what, 23,000 average? Yeah, I believe so. Um, yeah, so yeah, sold a bunch of Bitcoin, take care of uh, some debt, to wipe out some debt, and um, I believe prepayments for ASICs and some electricity cost as well. So yeah, I mean, I think that's, it's very interesting because this is like probably the first major cycle because Riot went public, what, in December 2017? So we've had, we've had the first time Riot went public, I think at the height of the 2017 bull market, we've obviously went all the way down to 3,500 and all the way up to 69,000 and back down to 20. So we've had like our first full, um, and it'll be interesting to see how these publicly traded miners specifically, uh, 
change their treasury management strategy moving forward. Like, I think there's going to be a lot of smarter treasury management as we move into the future. Like, if you're thinking from a mining perspective, like the ideal scenario is that you mine a bunch of Bitcoin uh, and acquire ASICs at the cheapest point possible. Uh, you mine as the bull market's going and then I think the strategy should be like if you get X multiples above the previous all-time high, you sell Y percentage of your your stack and lock in some gains and keep that on the, the cash side of the balance sheet. So like historically historically uh, miners sell to pay their costs because the costs are in fiat. But this is the first real cycle where large miners had access to easy credit because they were large publicly traded or just large companies in America. So they had access to really easy credit. They could leverage up instead, flood their balance sheet with as much Bitcoin as possible to take advantage of that micro strategy strategy in the public markets. Um, And as a result, they had to panic sell the bottom, a lot of them. But I, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of corollaries there just with average Bitcoiners as well, right? Which is, um, it takes a couple cycles to learn to stay humble. Yeah, you. Uh, I saw you retweeting a thread you wrote in 2018. I don't uh, tweet new things anymore. I just retweet 2018 stuff. <laughs> let's, uh, let's pull that up. What, what, what was your advice in that thread? Because you, cause you was did just, give a it, warning to people in December 2017, like, hey, now's a good time to... It was... It was uh, it was a like a ten tweet thread that got very little engagement in 2018 that could have been summed up with stay humble stack sats, but it predated stay humble stack sats. Wait, when did stay humble stack sats come into come into being? Maybe like 2019. Stay humble stack sats still good advice. I'm hearing. Um, that's terrible uh, advice. I don't know. I don't know what kind of shit you're smoking if you're going after people that are doing the most conservative investment strategy possible in the Bitcoin world. So, yeah. Um, sad shit. Very sad shit. Um, what else is going on? Let's move on to some good news. I mean, the miners selling. Is there anything else you want to touch on on the mining side of things? Um, well, we had a couple. Do we have a couple mining? So I get. So I just to circle back. Um, we had that Hive news. Um, Hive is still stacking. They didn't actually sell any of their Bitcoin, but based on monthly versus daily numbers, Core is three times bigger than them. Um, but yeah, they they did their risk management correctly, and they never had to sell any Bitcoin. Um, yeah, and I don't think I have any uh, we have any other mining news on the list. Um, I imagine this is all public miners because they have to disclose this shit. There's definitely a lot of panic happening separate from that, um, and I keep hearing bad things coming out of Compass. Uh, what nothing concrete. And I can't. Uh, yeah, I'm hearing um, allegations of potential cloud mining, like rehypothecating ASICs. Uh, yeah, that's from our boy Stony. Uh, because I, I heard that they're not 
they're not letting people get their ASICs back, but I don't know yeah. the specific details of that. And uh, but I'm I'm just hearing troubles at the company. But but it's uh, yeah I, I don't want to like burn my sources, so I'm not going to say more than that. Okay. Keep but yeah, the, they, what we said a couple of weeks ago holds true. Like if you can get stuff out of there at a loss, do it. Just I think I think that's that's the risk profile right now. Yeah. Get your ASIC checks, do it. If you can get whatever, if you can cancel your payment plans, do it. Just fucking cut. Well, cut that'd the be loss. interesting if they're really not delivering ASICs. Because that was one of their main selling points. And their hosting stuff started going down. It's like, oh no, we'll send your ASIC to you. So if that's turning out not to be true, but like that specifically was from someone sending an email to Stony and then Stony posting a screenshot. It's the source on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we shall see. We shall see. We'll let that story develop as it moves on. We did One have, thing that's uh, interesting about this cycle is uh, I was expecting like a death spiral FUD by now. Um, but hash no, is holding up pretty pretty well in comparison to, to last cycle. I think you thoroughly destroyed the uh, death spiral. FUD the last time you got engaged with uh, Ari Paul on it. So I, Is he still on Twitter? Because I've been blocked since then. That was like four years ago. <laughs> I think he might be. He's, saying, he's still saying very stupid Does stuff. Does he still Twitter. have a fund? I think so. I'm not sure. Um, he may be... He may be uh, yeah, he's... I think he's been FUDing uh, fee security, long-term security of the network because of the lack oh, of yeah, subsidy. That- that started coming up again. We hear that every cycle. Yeah. No, and I mean, again, so for any of you freaks who are relatively new to Bitcoin, obviously there's only 21 million Bitcoin. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin at some point in the future. Uh, we're going to hit that 21 million supply and then no new Bitcoin are going to be issued. And so the network is going to have to sustain itself on transaction fees alone. The mining industry is going to have to be incentivized to actually deploy and plug in, deploy capital, acquire miners and energy assets and plug in via the transaction fees included in a block alone. And there's a lot of fun. I mean, even prominent Bitcoin is Peter Todd, uh, Rusty Russell, uh, a bunch of others believe that we're going to need tail inflation so that we're going to have to uh, break the 21 million Bitcoin supply cap and add a tail inflation of one and a half to two percent or some arbitrary number uh, and I mean I think this is nothing but nothing more than mental masturbation like I think trying to predict the future necessary security spend for the Bitcoin network using stats and data uh, derived from the network's usage between 2009 and today is completely asinine. Like Bitcoin is as successful as we think it is uh, and can be as a peer-to-peer digital cash. Uh, there's going to be significantly more demand and block space is scarce. So I think that uh, there should be sufficient fee market. However, um, there are many out there who don't 
to think that's the case. I also think you could apply Jevons paradox to Bitcoin's UTXOs, where the more utility you you give a UTXO via things like Taproot, Musig, um, uh, Multisig, and all these things, the uh, covenants potentially um, the the more demand you're going to have for it because the more potential use cases there are, and that will also help a fee market develop. Um, are you a tail inflation guy, Matthew? If they think there should be a tail emission, they should uh, fork one in and see what happens. Yeah. It's yeah, it's the best way to, to sort of destroy that that argument right there. It's just so annoying that, I mean, especially like the altcoiners use it as, not that I really care about the altcoiners, it's just annoying to have to hear it pop up once every two years. Uh, Bitcoin's long-term securities bunk. It's like, eh, don't think so. Like Matt said, fork the code. It would be a hard fork, so you would get you would get equivalent amount of Bitcoin on the new chain uh, that has a a tail emission, a forever supply of Bitcoin at some fixed amount, and then uh, the market will uh, the the market will sort that one out. We shall see. See you on the field. If you're in a coma, Marty loves people that are in comas. He's a big coma guy. If you're in a coma, you just sit tight and uh, you still have the same amount of Bitcoin regardless of which chain wins. Yeah. You always got to be thinking of the man in the coma. I mean, I'm not like a big fan of people in comas. I feel bad for them. Big coma fan. I'm I'm always feeling for them and thinking about them. Like, hey, what happens when you wake up? Or more importantly, what's going to happen when you're Marty's coma under the table. He's never disclosed that. Big coma is my biggest backer. Yeah. I'm here. That's why that's actually why I have this like droning low 70s radio voice. It's actually to try to lull you all into a coma. Um, (laughs) Oh, I thought we were gonna take the soundboard away from him. Well, you're gonna have to come down here and take it from yourself. I'll be there next week, so. Our boy uh, Tucson Bitcoin was requesting it in the comments, so I had to give him I had to give him what he needed. Tucson. Um I had the pleasure of meeting him in Houston earlier this year. I hope all is well, brother. Uh should we pitch uh Nashville? Real quick pit, Nashville pitch before uh, we go to the next topic. Yeah, so I mean uh, we have the Nash Bitcoin meetup, uh, the monthly Nash Bitcoin meetup happening July thirteenth. Um, a lot of people from the Austin crew are coming in, including Marty and Carr. Uh, people from around the country are coming in, expecting over 200 people. Uh, we will be doing a live party rip from here um, with some special guests I'm pretty excited about. There will not be a live audience, so do not come here expecting to have a live audience. Uh, but um, it will be a party, and the meetup is always special. It's always a good time. And if you want more information, go to NashBitcoiners.com. Join us. Consider joining us. Yeah. People are coming in Yeah, early, staying late. It's going to be great. I'll be coming in early, staying late. And it's hosted at Bitcoin Park. Which is a beautiful... Actually, I can't even speak. I haven't seen it yet. I'll let you freaks know how it is when I get there next week. Marty's going to be so amazed. He's going to go straight into a coma. <laughs> uh, it's a pretty cool news. OpenNode Lemon Cash have teamed up to onboard one million Argentines to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. 
Um, so Lemon Cash is a exchange and wallet provider down in Argentina, and it seems like again they're partnering with OpenNode, which provides uh, Lightning services um, and Node operations for individuals or companies alike uh, to attempt to onboard a million people in Argentina, which has seen a 12-month rolling period of 60% inflation. It ranks 10th globally in the adoption of cryptocurrencies by country. So um, it's a cool to see. Open Node extending its, uh, its tentacles far around the world in Argentina. Um, wasn't there like some... Aren't they trying to ban Bitcoin in Argentina, though? I mean, they should be. From like government perspective, I mean, I don't, I don't want them to. Um, Argentina has historically uh, horrible inflation over and over again, and many long history of capital controls where they, you know, fuck with you and stop you from using your money the way you want to use your money and stop you from getting out of their shitcoin into hard money. Um, so I don't see why this time would be any different. Uh, obviously, Lemon Cash is my understanding is it's a you know KYC exchange, so that's probably where they would hit is the KYC exchanges, uh, the regulated exchanges. Um, but clearly, that seems like that's not been the case yet. We would need some yeah. freaks in Argentina to phone us in on that. But you know, the Argentine people are very good at. P2P money transfer stuff. And historically, yeah. that's been dollars uh, for their local currency. But I don't see why Bitcoin would be any different. Near my car. I, just put, I just put a tweet uh, in the TFTC chat. I think this is, I mean, this discussion reminded me of this stat that I found. I mean, we've known that Argentina's had high inflation throughout our lifetimes, at least, but I, I did some digging when the IMF uh, did another loan with Argentina earlier this year around May and was like, all right, how many IMF loans? It seems like Argentina is getting IMF loans like every other week. Like how many have they gotten historically and how bad is their problem? And so uh, astonishingly since 1944, so going back all the way uh, uh, almost 80 years now, for almost 80 years, the average annual inflation rate, of Argentina is 192%, which is insane. Uh, they've just been a perpetual hyperinflation for uh, the better part of a century. Uh, they joined the IMF. So Argentina joined the IMF in 1956, and they participated in 21 standby agreements, which are essentially loans since 1958. Uh, so that's roughly one every three years that the Argentine government has to go to the IMF and get bailed out. Uh, since 1958, so they've had fucking horrible, right? And like, so this is like absolute tragedy. Exactly, I think it's important to really understand this history here, going going back to the 40s and 50s. Like the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, is supposed to be a, a bank that that helps pull emerging markets and emerging economies out of the gutter. But it seems like to me. Like if it hasn't worked 21 times over the course of almost 70 years, what what like wh why does Argentina keep going back to the IMF trough? Is the IMF actually helping these countries, or is it is it hurting and uh, exacerbating their their hyperinflation problems? 
in Argentina specifically. I would, I would argue the latter, that the IMF is a parasitic uh, organization that, that is only going to destroy your country if you engage in a, in a standby agreement with it or a, a loan. Um, yeah, I'm happy we brought up Argentina that I thought of this because I, I remember back in May, um, I was doing this research. I was like, holy crap, 192% annual inflation since 1944 and they've gotten 21 IMF loans um, since 1958. Yeah, I mean, uh, we have uh, Stefan in the comments uh, who reminded me that that was the recent news. The recent news was IMF had a new deal with them. And as part of that deal, they asked them to crack down on crypto usage. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Stefan. That is what yeah, so <laughs> coming full circle to, yeah, the IMF is like, no, you can't, you, like, if you do get this loan, you have to stop uh, your citizens from acquiring Bitcoin, which is insane. You have to keep coming back to the trough of the IMF roughly every three years. Uh, and you can't let your citizens access this escape boat, which is just insanity. It's evil. It's evil. It's a liberal world order, freaks. It's the theme of the episode. This is this ties back to the liberal world order. They want uh, these centralized institutions like the IMF, the BIS, uh, the Fed, the ECB, all these central authorities to granularly control your economies. And if you're an Argentine citizen, I think you should be absolutely shocked and disgusted that your government has essentially sold your your country out to a supranational banking entity that is the IMF. And Marty keeps referring to the Argentine government as like a single entity. It's important to realize that they've had many turnovers in governance um, and they've all done the same fucking thing. Yes. Because the IMF comes and says, hey, we'll help you out. We'll help you out every three years. Most of this shit always comes down to incentives. You know, it's like the politicians, the elites, they do fine. Um, and they just destroy their country. Yeah. Easy so it's, interesting see, it's interesting to see Open Node and Lemon Cash forging forward with this deal in the face of that clause in the IMF loan that was definitely agreed to in, in May of this year. Good to see. Great to see. We already talked about BlockFi, uh, but in that same vein, the contagion theme in the, the quote-unquote crypto markets over the last few months. Three Hours Capital officially filed for bankruptcy, and the first time I've ever seen Chapter 15 bankruptcy, um, which essentially, the, I, mean, I think everybody did a little research on Chapter 15 bankruptcy when this news dropped since Three Hours Capital is this entity out of Singapore, and they have assets here in the U.S. They have to file this specific chapter um, so that they can protect their U.S. assets uh, as a foreign entity. Yeah, I mean, Three Hours is at the heart of a lot of this contagion, uh, but they're clearly not the only ones to blame. It seems like uh, there was a handful of large parties that were basically just loaning each other shit tons of money. Um, yeah. And inflating yeah, so, this whole kind of DeFi yield bullshit that we saw this most recent cycle. You have to, Fugazi. 
And it was not Bitcoiners' faults. Uh, Bitcoiners who were getting greedy for the 6% yield. Um, well, it was not Pleb's faults. No. no Even though they're so. the target well, of all the hate right now, as is tradition. Yeah. The um, But leading into the three hours capital thing, it's like Suzu selling like two thirty million dollar houses in Singapore. They were really conning people. Like, it, like it, it, I guess maybe we can take the conversation here. Like, do you think these guys were straight up Bernie Madoff style? Like, we know we're ripping our faces off scammers, or do you think they were uh, their quote unquote success was just a product of the money money printer go burr uh, gravy train? And they had they had all these paper gains and these obscure DeFi protocols and shit coins that they really thought they were like master investors. I think uh, I mean ego definitely plays a part of it. People think they're geniuses in an uptrend. Um, I think I think David Bailey's take uh, is still one of the best takes, which is you know I think they were heavily exposed to Luna and Terra, and when that blew up. Um, they were completely underwater and that's when like the real fraud kind of started. Um, yeah. But, uh, and like the ego probably blinded them from how much risk they were taking on in the Luna Terra side. Yeah. I think that's probably a pretty conservative diagnosis of, of, of what went down there. Um, but Yeah. Definitely, it definitely feels like a significant amount of fraud happened. Yeah, certainly. I mean, fraud. And so I went on this. I got asked to go on this like YouTuber show yesterday. This dude Matt Kors, I think he's like a Wall Street bets type guy, and I think he was a fan of Voyager. So like Three Hours Capital, uh, another company. I had no idea who this company was until last week. Voyager, uh, right? Did not know yeah. they existed. Didn't know they existed either. But Canadian company, publicly traded, pretty massive, and Canada. they just uh, filed Chapter Eleven bankruptcy in New York yesterday. Uh, getting all the chapters, getting all the chapters here uh, in this contagion event, and it became well-known via this this bankruptcy that they had a $670 million unsecured loan out to three hours capital. And no uh, collateral. Three, no collateral, no assets put up to, to get the, the line of credit. It was just given to them uh, and they went and lost it all. Half of it, were, or more than half of it, uh, $350 million was USDC and the rest of it was Bitcoin. Uh, and it's it's... Like, so, number one, like, yeah, there's a very good chance that Three Arrows Capital was engaged in some type of fraud uh, trying to make up for that Terra Luna blow up. But on the other side, too, like Voyager, like how are you going to give a $670 million unsecured loan to a single hedge fund? Like, what is your due diligence, your risk management strategy? Like, at that company, like, how does that get okayed to? give out close to a billion dollars with no collateral put up to one entity. Like, I think that 
specific transaction highlights the uh, uh, the irresponsibility in that overarching. Uh, it doesn't seem like there's many adults in the room actually know how to run businesses confidently and, and manage risk appropriately. Like the fact that that got okayed as a publicly traded company as well is somewhat astonishing. This is kind of, so like we've talked about this in the past. Um, I think this is kind of where like the potential fraud kind of happened. Um, obviously Voyager should, is responsible for their own actions as well. Um, but who knows what kind of documentation and whatnot was provided to them by three arrows. Um, in terms of, you know, you said due diligence, maybe they just trusted their due diligence. And, uh, as as we've said previously, it just seems like three hours was treated like a triple A, a triple A yield source, right? Uh, they saw all these complicated things, DeFi, all these things that had a t- ton of risk on associated with them, and three AC was like treated as as a way less risky option for generating return on their customer deposits. Um, and then, but then three hours capital went and did all the really risky shit. So they like kind of shielded them so they could look the other way. But yeah, it's just another case of people not staying humble. Yeah. Another interesting thing with this Voyager situation too, is I, I think FTX stepped in with like a $75 million line of credit to help, uh, to help stop the bleeding. Uh, like that's obvious in there. Yeah, they uh, gave a line of credit to Voyager. But then it's becoming like, I saw Dylan LeClaire tweeting yesterday that Voyager had something like a $350 million loan out to FTX too. Did you see that? To Al- to maybe Alameda instead or something to that effect. Because so Alameda is... Oh. Is Alameda S- gave the seventy-five million dollar line of credit. Right. So Alameda's SBF's hedge fund, and then FTX's SBF's exchange. So they're technically two different entities, but they're the same entity. But then, so Dylan, our boy Dylan, made some claims there, and then today, I'm pretty sure SBF subtweeted him, and was like before you go running your mouth or I mean I'm definitely paraphrasing SBF didn't say running your mouth um, you can ask for comment first or you can learn how bankruptcy proceedings work so it seems like SBF has some kind of angle there yeah I mean you can talk about like the principles or the ethics or morals of SBF and FTX but I I mean I he's a He's to me, he seems like a very sophisticated actor. Like yeah. I don't, I I don't think he's not, he's I don't think he's making decisions at whim here. And I'm no, pretty sure he can throw his dick around when when he's offering these different things to these different companies. Visualization of him throwing a stick around is not what I really want in my mind right now. <laughs> I can't believe you have these soundboards memorized already, too. You teed me up. Yeah. Yeah, but with Voyager, I mean, so again, Parker explained this when he was uh, on the show a couple weeks ago on TFTC. When it comes to BlockFi, Celsius, Voyager, for any of you freaks 
who may be coming to the show, Marisa, you have to understand like you you don't own any Bitcoin. Like if you go read the Voyager uh, bankruptcy filings, you'll see like in the section they had to list their top fifty unsecured creditors, and that is what you are. No matter if you have ten million dollars or a hundred dollars on these services, you are, you you are considered an unsecured creditor. Like and so, if they lose all their money. Uh, you go to bankruptcy, you're not going to get it all back. You actually, when you, because that was the question this guy asked, but I actually felt bad for this uh, Matt Coors guy. Uh, he seems like a, a nice gentleman. Uh, and I had no idea. It seems like I, I became more aware of it throughout the conversation that I think him and his audience were pumping Voyager and, and had a significant amount, significant amount of capital on it and i was just there guns blazing like yeah you guys are fucked uh, all the money's gone you're probably not gonna get any back um that's fucked up yeah they even had like the shit coin terminology like every time they release a press release they're like hey voyagers we have an update on you not getting your money yeah it's always a red flag i feel like when you have like a name for celsius like, voyagers yeah block, if a company block. is calling you a name while taking your money i just feel like what if we call people freaks? But we're not taking their money. Yeah, it's true. Only for shoutouts. We don't have any shoutouts this week. Let me check, make sure. We're just going to have to go straight to uh, Boost. We got a lot of Boost this week. Oh, wait. Yeah, we do have one shoutout. We'll read it now. Yeah, Hi. Vegas, right? The Hexicans is another one. Is that what they call themselves, or is that is that a derogatory term think, for them? <laughs> <laughs> well, Thanks, why would it be derogatory? Hexagons. I don't know. Speaking speaking of Vic, he did buy a shout out. Hi from Vic. That's the shout out. Thank you, Vic. Thanks, Vic. Thank you for your support. Participating in the live chat and and the shout outs. Uh, yeah, he did that as you said. There's no shout outs. So. Must have. Yeah, it came through lightning. Uh, 3.36. Eh, I did it 19 minutes ago. Um, yeah, the uh, yeah, Voyager's going down. Vague says they do call themselves hexagons. <laughs> and Vague's the authority on this, so we're just going to go with that. See, it, is a, it is a... There's a trend there. There's a trend there. And yes, like, what is. was... Like, Luna had one too, right? Uh, lunatics, right? Lunatics, yeah. See, there's a trend. Uh, yeah, if you're if your shitcoin is calling you some cheesy name, uh, you may want to run away as, as quickly. If your shitcoin's calling possible. you anything, probably probably should stay on Bloomstack sets. <laughs> uh, so, uh, if you're a Voyager, so tying up the Voyager thing, there was a lot of people who were like, "Oh, Voyager is FDIC insurance." Nope. Um, I don't think that's the case. If you're if you're out there, well, first of all, they're Canadian. And they filed bankruptcy in, in, in New York State, so they have to have some U.S. entity here. But yeah, it came out afterwards that there's there's no FDIC insurance. I mean, they're protection for the for the customers. I know that. Um, my understanding is for USDC, for like every. For all the USDC holders together, 
they share a single two hundred fifty thousand dollar FDIC insurance plan. <laughs> so they can all well, if, if USDC goes down, they can all they can all spread they can all take their little piece of that two hundred fifty K. There were some big USDC rumors going around last week, or like last Friday. Um, Look, the so- most proof of that is that Jeremy Allaire decided that he was going to come out on Twitter and release a thread about how everything is fine, which, you know, is pretty much what happens every time before everything turns out to not be fine. Yeah. But if, I mean, if USDC specifically goes down, having done some research over the last week, after the rumors came out, if you look at who their banks are and who else is using their banks, if you have a run on those two particular banks in the industry, there's very few banks that will actually give Bitcoin-related companies bank accounts. Um, so if USDC goes down and takes those banks down with it, uh, that could be a very interesting. I'm not saying this is likely, not saying this is it'd be really fucking bad. It'd be really bad. It was just funny because like all the tether truthers have been saying like tether is the systemic risk. (laughs) Particularly like USDC is like fully all throughout like the DeFi ecosystem as well. Yeah. Like what maker now is like makers backed by USDC as well. Yeah. Decentralized finance with a KYC AML stable card. Yeah, so hopefully, I mean, Novo came out today and said the deleveraging is over. Uh, hopefully, we don't have a run. He also is a lunatic tattoo. <laughs> He's a lunatic. He's a lunatic. Man. He, he was. He was a lunatic. Past tense. <laughs> Remember, well, he wrote the piece. He said, "This tattoo will always remind me to stay humble." Did he add stack sats behind it? No, no, just stay humble. Yeah. Stamble and stacks ass, I would say. Uh, I mean, but that's really one of the fucked up parts of all of this is that, uh, so, so to the freaks that don't know what FDIC insurance is, FDIC insurance is a, is a US government backstop for bank accounts. So if you have, for every individual bank account you have, a savings account, checking account in the United States, up to $250,000 of it is insured if the bank fails. The government will just print that money and give you up to $250K per account. Um, these, these different yield providers, and I say yield, you know, in quotes, uh, basically pitched these accounts as alternatives to savings account. Your savings account gives you like pennies if you have even if you have a ton of money in it because the interest rates were so low, use our accounts instead. And you don't even need Bitcoin volatility risk because you do it in USDC and you get whatever percentage we're offering. And they basically insinuated that they were an equivalent to the savings accounts. But in practice, they were really high risk uh, products that were funded by doing extremely risky loans to a small group of large players in the space that were all interconnected. And this was the result. So, you know, there's obviously like a legal definition of fraud, but there was definitely a shit ton of misleading marketing that happened um, that led retail, that led average people to like lose large amounts of their life savings. Like, I mean, Grubles posted a screenshot of like a Reddit thread 
I don't know from which one of these ones it was, but it was like, you know, people that had like their whole life savings were in one of these accounts and they just got completely wiped out and they can't afford rent now. And, uh, meanwhile, meanwhile, uh, we have very influential people on Twitter saying that plebs are the problem here, that, that plebs are the toxic ones, uh, that people that stay humble and stack sats are the problem. Uh, we didn't cause any of that shit. They did. Yeah. I mean, if anything, we've gotten, I mean, I know I have, and I'm probably certain that you have as well received DMs of a number of people thanking me and you uh, for the advice that we've given them over the last four years to stay on most stacks ads, get your Bitcoin off exchange, off these third-party services. Uh, it is, yeah, it is this weird projection that's going on that toxic maxis have led to this. It's like, did, did we really pump Terra Luna? Wasn't Udi one of like the, the biggest Terra pumpers in the market in like February of this year? Uh, is it really toxic to say, hey, we've been around the block for, uh, I've been here for like eight years, nine years almost, watching these market cycles and may have learned to think of two throughout that almost decades long experience and, and just going to advise you to stay away from the siren calls of, of shit coins and stick to Bitcoin and learn how to create and secure private public key pairs. Uh, is that so toxic? I don't think so. This happens every cycle, but it just doesn't get old. It doesn't, it doesn't get easier. Yeah. It doesn't get old. Uh, it has gotten very old, uh, but it uh, does. It it just. It, it, if anything, it seems more uh, vicious this time around. Uh, probably because the magnitude of losses is way bigger. So, uh, the insecurity of certain people tends to result in them lashing out more than in the past. Yeah, yeah. But it's pretty amazing. Better. It's pretty amazing that Twitter built an app that is both so fucking amazing and so fucking horrible at the same time all the time <laughs> why do you say it's horrible it just i mean there's i lately there's just days that i just like open up twitter and i do like one or two scrolls and i'm like fuck this shit <laughs> just put it away but obviously twitter is an extremely powerful platform um that enabled us to meet and enabled a lot of other people to meet and enables a lot of great discussion. Um, it's just both at the same time. It's pretty remarkable, really. Yeah. That's definitely also the other thing that we see every cycle. I think I, one of my favorite things is nostalgia and connecting things in the past is the tweet deleting and the blocking, which is extremely frustrating. Because whenever these blowouts happen, people hide behind the blocks, people hide behind the tweet deletes. Um, and those same exact people are the same type of people that will go back, find a shit post from, you know, three years ago or whatever, and try and run circles on you while they have you blocked. Um, which is just, I don't know. It's just weak shit. It's weak bullshit. Yeah. I don't have time for that. That's what Ari Paul has been doing too for the last four years. Yeah. Well, I don't even know. I don't even know if he exists or not because I've just been blocked. Yeah. 
And Hand now, now Twitter has that fucking horrible feature of restricting replies too, which makes it even worse. They don't even have to manually block you. Just only allow their filter bubble to reply. Well, then you can quote tweet them and dunk on them via quote tweet. The important part of the reply is not to dunk on them. The important part of the reply is for their audience to see another perspective and that gets lost. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yeah, Twitter is a cruel mistress, double-edged sword, a yin and a yang. It's incredible and it's terrible. And especially in bear markets. But it, like, so it's funny, like 2016, right before we began to climb higher, we had Mike Hearn rage quit. Like there's just always tumult. To that one too. <laughs> there's always tumult right around uh, the bottom. I'm not saying I'm not trying to call a bottom here either. We'll get to the the macro part of the discussion later. And um, would you call Pete Clownward, Marty? About this time last year. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I'm pretty sure, like, there are very few people that can be public in this industry for longer than a few years without completely losing their mind or letting ego take the best of them or a combination of the two. And that is great. That's a feature, not a bug. But <laughs> this, this, this industry uh, over the long scale, particularly to public people, just will just chews them up and spits them out. It's just a... Uh, I mean, think about it. There's just really not that many public people that last more than six to eight years without completely losing their mind. How do we prevent ourselves from losing our minds? We're doing it right now. We just do our... our the, the key is our weekly our weekly set. I think so. Yeah, our, weekly, our weekly struggle sessions. We meet here no, for... I, I think the key is to stay fucking humble, but I'm just a broken record. I should just put stay humble on the soundboard and then I don't even have to say it anymore. But that's the key. The key is to stay humble and just be in it for the long haul and not uh, not let your ego get the best of you. Yeah, that's why, I mean... I mean that's but why do I say it's a feature, not a bug? I say it's a feature, not a bug because there's no leaders in Bitcoin. No. Right? And that's key. It stops the capture to a degree. Yeah. There are no leaders. Do not look at us as leaders. Do not trust us. I'm an idiot, specifically. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> don't. Uh, they have this, this podcast, newsletter, maybe a VC in the mining industry. I'm, I'm an idiot at the end of the day. Don't trust me. Please don't trust me. I'm kidding. Um, you're kidding. We I, mean, do don't, I mean, you shouldn't. You sh definitely shouldn't. No, I, don't trust I don't think I, I mean, probably not an idiot, but I, I uh, want, I want as many people as possible to take control into their own hands, to have personal responsibility, to empower themselves, and then to return the favor to others. Go out, help your friends and family, but don't help them get dependent on you. Help them be independent themselves. Yes. Yes. Keep a job. Multiple revenue streams. Highly recommended. 
stay sane. Keep a hobby. I like to, uh, my hobby is putting on the tinfoil hat, thinking about how the liberal world order is trying to destroy our lives. That's your hobby, Marty. That's not your lifestyle. (laughs) Might be a lifestyle. Uh, We do have one more insolvency to talk about. I've never heard of this exchange either out of (laughs) India. They were pretty big in India. That's why I put them on the list. And but I had never heard of them. Horrible name. Terrible name. Continue continuing the industry trend of just having a horrible name. Yes. I guess it's a play on vault, but <laughs> maybe they wanted vault, but But they were they were a crypto exchange and lender. Um and they froze withdrawals. And as with all these cases, they're telling everybody, uh, all will be fine. Do not worry. But that is probably not the case, and they are probably facing insolvency. Yes. Yeah, so they were also yeah. offering a ton of percentage yield bullshit garbage. They, they really buried the lead here on July 4th, uh, dropping this corporate statement. Just kidding. It's India. I don't think they celebrate the 4th of July there. Uh, the fall management team wishes to inform that we are facing financial challenges despite our best efforts. This is due to a combination of circumstances such as a volatile market conditions, the financial difficulties of our key business partners, inevitably affecting us. So that maybe that's maybe they got maybe three arrows was going to Indian exchanges for capital too. So financial difficulties of our key business partners inevitably affecting us in the current market climate, which has led to a significant amount of customer withdrawals in excess of $197.7 million since June 12th. Um, Just a really long-winded way of saying we lost all your money. Yeah, but I think that, that one sentence there, the current market climate excuse me, the one before that, the financial difficulties of our key business partners inevitably affecting us. So What's so special about that fucking line? I mean, it just shows like the contagion. Three hours. They mentioned three hours capital to three hours capital they defaulted. Say three on hours like, specifically. Yeah, know. and Celsius and Terra. So they were exposed to Terra, Celsius, and three hours. And three hours was exposed to probably Terra and Celsius as well. Yeah, or at least, oh, or, wait, at least or or three hours was exposed to Terra and Celsius was exposed to three hours and Terra. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that might just be an explanation for why the market fell. I don't know if they had exposure. Uh, They're just saying just general market issues. Like I said, really long-winded way of saying we lost all your fucking money. Yeah, it's gone. Counterparty risk freaks. It's more significant than you think. And and don't want to sound cliche, gradually and suddenly, but the suddenly part is... Is, is here. It's happening to us now. If you're Voyager or Celsius, any of these bald over the last week. I thought week, this suddenly was like four months ago. With Terra? No, I don't. You remember we were having an argument about the end of... I was on the, the end of the gradually phase and you were... We were already at suddenly. Yeah, that was for hyperinflation. Check the tapes. Yeah, that was Check for hyperinflation. Tape. Yeah. I would, I would agree, yeah. Or somewhere in that area. We should, re- we should release a uh, the full RHR archives on limited edition cassettes so that freaks can actually check the tapes. Yeah. Um, I haven't used a cassette player in a long fucking time. Yeah. 
here's some um, breaking news. Let's get this thread up here, Car. Uh, looks like Marathon. This actually ties into another um, another topic we have on the list, so it's good to bring it up. We can transition away from this contagion event and all these defaults in the centralized finance market. Just announced that they were moving their hash from a bunch of their hash from New York to. Was that Marathon? No, that was Riot. Riot. So they were moving from New York to Texas. I don't think Riot had material amount of hash rate in New York. It's probably like Coin Mints up in New York. No, uh, it's not. Greenwich. It was like a Riot or a Marathon or something. It wasn't Greenwich. I don't know. I think it was marathon. Riot. Might have been Riot. Um, but Marathon, go down. Not the street car, but uh, in Texas. So it seems like Marathon... Just dropped some financials from June, uh, literally minutes ago. And in this tweet thread, uh, they were supposed to have a hosting facility up and running in Texas in June, uh, uh, which is being maintained by Compute North. But it seems like they're running into problems um, in regards to their tax status. And they're not able to get that up. So it's probably a material amount of hash rate that's remaining on the sidelines. Um, but this is a very interesting theme. Obviously, Texas has been a big... Texas mining specifically has been a big theme in the Bitcoin mining industry f- throughout the last year, really. When the Chinese mining exodus started almost exactly a year ago. China, Texas uh, is claiming to be and probably is right now the mining capital of the world in terms of uh, the amount of hash rate that is within Texas's borders. But uh, I don't know. It's, uh, as a Texan, people are shilling demand response, ERCOT, wind and solar, West Texas, uh, all this stuff. But I think, I don't know, I, I do have a bit of apprehension about the Texas mining industry, particularly on-grid operations, because I I think the way these power purchase agreements, particularly with ERCOT, uh, are developing, I think a lot of these power purchase agreements aren't as good as people initially thought, and ERCOT is getting greedy uh, and reworking contracts moving forward from, from what I'm hearing. And then on top of that, obviously, with the great migration from the Northeast and California to states like Florida and Texas has created an increased demand for electricity on their grids. And it doesn't seem like their state is able to get enough capacity up and running. Uh, There's worries of brownouts and blackouts this summer as the heat stays above like 105 degrees for a very long sustained period of time. And then, um, Governor Abbott came out, I believe earlier today or a couple days ago, and essentially said that they're going to ask the refineries, so the oil and gas refineries, the state's going to ask them to derate their operations um, and, uh, and basically tell them to cut back production to relieve stress on the grid, um, which is very interesting to see. Uh, that Texas is supposed to be the energy capital of the world is having significant grid problems still uh, more than a year and a half after the big freeze out and blackout in February of last year. 
Uh, but yeah, it seems like Marathon's having problems spin up there. But to bring yeah, it back so just, to Marathon specifically, don't haven't you said in the past that you had concerns over Mara's ability to execute and actually get miners online? Yeah, but I mean they've they've got this partnership with Compute North, which has proven to be able to get some stuff up. Um, so what so they basically really just bring compute. compute North as like a middleman to handle it. Yeah, they they contract out all their operations at Compute North. But again, like so, with that announcement, that tweet thread that we just showed from Marathon, I, th- I think this is more of like a regulatory thing that they're running into. They're running into some like bureau, better business bureau bullshit that's preventing them from getting up and running. Um, so the better business bureau isn't involved in this shit. I know it's a, it's a saying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, is that, uh, like a consumer protection agency. Yeah, but it's. Uh, Do you ever watch Eastbound and Down? Ashley Schaefer. Yeah. Good show. <laughs> the key is a far superior superior vehicle. I had I had to sell my BMW dealership due to the allegations of prostitution, semi-automatic weapons with trace levels of cocaine dust. You know, some better business bureau bullshit. That's where that comes from. There you go. <laughs> Allegations. <laughs> Build better business bureau back better. This is true, Narwhal Takas. Um, yeah, Texas. It'll be interesting to see. There's again. Uh, That's a great name, by the way, Narwhal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Texas grid is stressed out right now. Governor Abbott is potentially going to ask refineries, oil and gas refineries, to turn down their operations to decrease the stress on the grid and not only will that affect the texas grid but when you take the uh, current market conditions for oil and gas into consideration because it exacerbated a problem there where you have the main hub of where oil and gas is refined here in the united states essentially shutting down for an extended period of time to save the texas grid that can lead to some exacerbation uh, on the prices of crude oil in natural gas, which have had they, they they were coming down earlier this week, fell below $100 yesterday. I believe they pumped a bit today, back up to like 103, 104. But this would be terrible timing for uh, for anybody who's wishing for lower gas prices. Uh, if the state of Texas has to shut down their refineries to save their grid, and that will that will create. Uh, another supply problem for the, for the oil and gas industry. Yeah. I mean, if you're expecting lower gas prices, lower energy prices in general, you know, don't. It's, it's a bad expectation. Don't expect that. If it does happen, be happy about it, but ex- expect them to continue to go up significantly. I would say. Yeah. Operate under that assumption. It's the safe assumption to operate under. Yeah. That's a good assumption to run with. Uh, Back to Bitcoin. You have Pete Rizzo's article on Bitcoin maximalism in here. I read it, shared it. I just love that this guy, like I've, I've developed a, a, a very strong friendship with Rizzo over the last two years. 
Um, and we disagreed on everything. If you go back four or five years ago when he was the editor at CoinDesk, um, it's just a pretty amazing turnaround. Uh, he's a fantastic writer. I think he did a really great job with this piece. Um, I think he exemplified. I, I've never, I've never personally identified as a Bitcoin maximalist, but I think he exemplifies in this piece my point of view and perspective on all of this um, very clearly and concisely and eloquently. And there's an additional. Um, <laughs> There's additional little nugget of of fun here. Uh, so CoinDesk came out with like an anti-maximalism piece written by their current editor. And Rizzo replied under their tweet with this piece and was ratioing them. So they hit his reply. They did? Yeah, they hit his fucking reply. Yeah. How weak is that? That is weak as fuck. CoinDesk, baby. The WEF-backed CoinDesk or the WEF-affiliated CoinDesk. They're uh, They are partners. And no, I mean, if you guys haven't been reading Pete's historical pieces on Bitcoin, highly recommend you go do that. He's falling down a Mercia Popescu rabbit hole. Um, Who, Rizzo? Yeah, we've had a lot of discussions about Mercia in the past, which is uh, He's still alive. very... I mean, have we just, we've discussed it on this podcast. As somebody who surfed in Playa Hermosa and Hako, apparently where he died, like I, I just don't, I don't believe it. Like anybody's ever been in that ocean. Well, it's one it's of the most deadliest areas, right? In yeah, that, it's, really, surf. it's a gnarly shore break. It's like crocodile infested waters. Like it's not really known for just people free swimming. It's mostly just surfers and. Sure, yeah, but that's why yeah. that's why it's an ideal place to fake your death. Yeah, but I mean, I'm pretty sure he faked his death. I'm pretty sure too. And if he did, we probably I mean, shouldn't talk because he's look. Dead, I literally, I literally <laughs> tweeted out that someone came and took the rabbit hole recap <laughs> lightning node, and then. Switched into tour only and promised to keep all fees low. And like half the people believed it. So it's like, it's a very, it doesn't really matter what I say on, on here. Everyone's still going to believe he's dead anyway. So, um, pretty sure he's not. Yeah. Well, anyway, this goes back to Pete Rizzo. His, if you're uh, listening, Mercia, I'm sorry for blowing up your spot, but kudos on the yes. effective fake death. Please don't put a hit out of us. Um, the <laughs> the uh, no, Pete's been doing great work, and I, I gotta harken back to. <laughs> I lost my body in a swimming accident. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta harken back to the episode we recorded when it was me, Pete, CK, and uh, Dylan McClaire. I think Bitcoin was still like in the forty thousand, forty five thousand dollar range, and Pete Pete was calling for a long, cold, dark winter. Uh, it seems like. Well, I told you what he said to me, right? The day we went down like thirty percent. What do you say? He's like, "Will you tell me I'm right now?" Like I woke up in the morning to a message from him. <laughs> He's like, "I want to hear it from you." What? Did you tell me it was right? Did you tell me it was right? Yeah. 
Nah. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I gave him I gave him a bone on that one, but uh, the the hard part about timing markets isn't necessarily you can you can be directionally correct. The hard part is actually then buying back in. That's it's 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 hard enough to sell the top. It's even harder to then buy back in before getting into complete derangement syndrome. And I'm not saying like that's what's going to happen in this case because. I'm not going to talk about Rizzo's personal finances on air, um, but uh, that's that's why just consistently stacking is is the most foolproof way because you don't have to time tops and you don't have to time bottoms. The combination of the two is where people get wrecked. There was that fund that came out; they lost everything on the Terra collapse because they shorted Terra, but on one of the bounces they got liquidated. So they were. They were correct. <laughs> they were fucking correct in their thesis, but they played with fire and they got wrecked. Our boy Murad was was pretty spot on in terms of his bull thesis, but he got wrecked in that one March 2020 drop down, right? And that's what happens when you trade. When you trade, all it takes is one or two really bad mistakes, and then next thing you know, you've lost all your fucking money. But if you stack, you skip that process. You can just live your fucking life. And you don't have to. You don't have to be staring in front of a computer and hoping you don't lose everything in fifteen minutes. Yeah. But yeah, Rizzo completely nailed the bear market call. He went on on the pod with you and completely called it. That's that's yeah, what you were yeah. talking about. Yeah. Well, he yeah. was he was privately calling it to me before then. We, I was calling him a bear for a while. Yeah, it was he got uh, me on that one? I will give him that. He got me on that one. He said he could. He he said it felt like when he came on and recorded, it felt like fall. You could feel the cold winter winds beginning to breeze, <laughs> beginning to blow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, but uh, go read his piece. It's a good piece. It's a great um, piece. He did a really good job with it. In response to um, Nick Carter's piece from last week, uh, claiming that Bitcoin maximalism is dead. And I do, I, I fucking hate the term Bitcoin maximalism. I mean, that's why I never identify as a maximalist because yeah. it's a fucking, it's a derogatory straw man created by shitcoiners. Yeah. Yeah. And I always like, uh, I hate that I even had to say it. Like people are like, oh, like when you talk to a normie or somebody who doesn't know who you are and is interested in Bitcoin and crypto. You have to like explain it. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, yeah, I'm Bitcoin only. Some people would close. I, that's how I always preface it. Like I just say I would focus call. on Bitcoin. I say my yeah. focus is on Bitcoin. Everything else is noise. Um, like the insinuation, the original insinuation of Bitcoin maximalism as a term was that the only reason we thought Ethereum wouldn't work and that Ethereum had misleading marketing and that Ethereum was basically bringing sheep to the slaughter was that it was not Bitcoin. That's the key straw man argument of the whole thing. No, that's it's it's not because it's not Bitcoin. It's because it's a piece of fucking shit. Yeah, I'm looking for the... Because uh, it, it didn't... Didn't he uh, define it in Bitcoin Magazine too? I'm looking for the Bitcoin Magazine piece. Well, Vita that. What, Vitalik or Rizzo? Vitalik. Vitalik was yeah, the original Vitalik. owner. Magazine. No, he was the founder. He was the founder of Bitcoin Magazine. Yes, before yeah. before he launched his Ethereum project, he was one of the most prolific Bitcoin journalists. Which once which lines up with that previous statement, by the way, that it's hard 
it's it's hard to be a public figure in Bitcoin and not end up either completely losing your mind or letting ego get the best of you or a combination of the two. Um, but he no, the Bitcoin maximalism post was on his personal blog, if I recall correctly. His personal blog. No, like Ty, Ty confirmed as well. Uh, yeah. He actually has some really great. He has some really great early pieces on Bitcoin Magazine about Bitcoin. Back in his heyday. Yeah, he was a really good technical writer. Um, uh, it was a weird crew at Bitcoin Magazine in the early days. It was Vitalik Buterin and Andrew DeSantis. I don't know. I, oh, sorry. The name I where did heard. what happened to Andrew DeSantis? I think he took I haven't heard that else. name in a minute. Yeah, there's a there's the the reason I accidentally cut you off there was just because Carlos uh, had this hilarious. I don't even know what he's talking about the specific reply, but he goes, "Matt's reply to Vitalik's reply to Jimmy's tweet was great, and that old thread perfect." No idea what he's talking about, <laughs> but I just thought it was a great comment. Cheers to you. Cheers to all you freaks in the live chat right now. Um, I love our live chat, ride or die freaks. Yeah. Then uh, all right, well. Um, <laughs> Since we only have one shout out, it was a short one. We'll get to last week's boost too. We had a good number of boost, uh, high number. Did you see the drama I, I caused caused in the podcasting 2.0 world? Yeah, dude, you had too many splits, bro. Too many splits. <laughs> like I added for dis, for Citadel Dispatch, I added splits for uh, six different uh, community funded Bitcoin projects, so they all get funded at the same time that the Sats are streaming and. Uh, Basically, like all the podcasting 2.0 stakeholders are like, you're breaking our apps. Like, you have way too many fucking splits. <laughs> and I like to push the limits. So, hopefully, uh, hopefully, it will lead to a better podcasting 2.0 ecosystem. I hope so. I hope so. I'm, I'm loving it so far. Shout out to the team at Found Disclaimer. I'm an investor, but again, the uh, we've been seeing a lot of good boost on TFTC. We get we get a lot here. A rabbit hole recap. We're going to read the top four from last week's episodes right now. I mean, I saw you got a two hundred ten thousand sat boost. Largest one I've ever seen. Yeah. yeah, and that happened after I added all the splits, so it worked. So there's some there's some studying going on there. Yeah. And also, before you go, huge shout out to Roy and the guys at Breeze as well, doing yes. really great work on podcasting 2.0. Everybody is. Shout out to Adam Carey, the podfather himself, for doing this. This is his value for value idea and model brought to the rest of us in the podcasting world. If you guys are listening via podcasting 2.0 compatible app and you're streaming us sets, thank you very much, Shree. We really appreciate it. We love that you guys are getting value out of this show and then giving it back to us in the form of boost and streaming sats. Here are the top four from last week. Number one on the list at BTC NIM, 51,111 sats. Good seeing the freaks sending real, quote unquote, real boost amounts. I just learned that you got to boost the episode and not the show in Fountain App. I boosted the show and assumed I was being censored, but Marty would never do that. I'd never do that, BTC NIM. Marty, please run this through a Latin translator. Marty, please run this through a Latin translator so you can, you and the dozens of people in the world who speak Latin. I have it on my phone right now. I don't feel like. Um, Latin is a dead language no. in Bitcoin. 
Marty, can a fellow pleb treat you to a drink in Avalon? Uh, yes, you can. You can take me to the P pleb. Wait, was uh, that a boostergram and uh, no, comment? that's in the comments. That's just in the comments. Oh. Second boostergram of the week of last week from at Gunson fifty thousand and two sats. See, this is a trend here. I, I've noticed last week. If it's uh, the top, the if you do the top four, it turns into like prices right shit. Yes, exactly. Yes. Uh, you don't want to do a whole number. Out. You always want to. You want. You, you don't want to do a round number. You always want to add a add a couple digits. Uh, Gunson, incredible British accent, Marty. I can finally stop listening to Peter's show. RHR has it all. It's true, mate. Sorry, Peter. <laughs> <So bad. laughs> At time train strategy, 50,000 in one set. I love it. He got outbid by love, the other guy by one set. Love the show with super high signal in a world of increasing noise. Keep up the good work. And last but not least, from at JT, a cool even 50,000 sats. Hot take. The bottom is in. Agree that more pain is on the way, but think it's coming for those that did not stay humble and stack sats. Cheers to all your freaks for supporting the show. As always, you can view all the boostograms um, on podcasting 2.0 apps, uh, besides just the ones we highlight, which is one of the coolest features. You can reply to them. Um, it's basically an open comment system uh, that has value attached to it in the form of sats. I do want to say that last guy, he almost got kicked out of the top four by like two sats. So cheers to you. Cheers to you. And I agree. Uh, thank you. I love that you view the show as signal throughout the noise. Yeah, we could do a little uh, bit better on that. We've gotten a little bit noisier. What do you mean? With our age. If you go back to the old RHRs, man... I was getting nostalgic. I went back to the tapes. I put them all on cassettes. And I was just listening to them in my cassette tape player. Dude, we were so high signal. It was just like 45 minutes, an hour, boom. Super high signal. And our age has just gotten to us. Well, let's get, let's get a high signal topic here. We mentioned it in the beginning of the episode. Tap signer plus nunchuck. Again, I think when it comes to... Uh, improving the UX around Bitcoin usage. I'm really excited to see how the design landscape expands with NFC, particularly. Uh, we've had Rodolfo on the show to talk about TapSigner, uh, which is a new product they have, which essentially is an NFC-enabled card that allows you to to sign uh, in a multi-sig quorum, or you can probably do a single sig too if you want to, but it's probably not ideal. Um, and Rodolfo, yesterday, last night actually, less than 24 hours ago, um, released a, a, a demo video of him using the tap signer uh, to, and in conjunction with Numchuck's uh, mobile app, which uh, Hugo Hanoi has built with his team to. Is that NBK? Brought- yeah, uh, I think so. Might not be. Doesn't look like his hands. I have never really paid attention to Rodolfo's hands, but I'll take your word for it. Uh, he posted on his Twitter account, but uh, no, I mean, again, this is just really cool in my mind. Uh, combining two devices here, uh, NFC enabled card and a, a mobile phone. Uh, I think this is 
going to be really cool to see develop moving forward is is how people get creative with these types of multi-sig quorums. And the key here is that because it's a card, it doesn't have a screen on it. It's super fucking cheap. You can use it with your already existing mobile phone. Uh, the main trade-off is it doesn't have a screen on it, so you cannot confirm the information on the device as you can with a lot of the other hardware that is more expensive. Um, multi-sig mitigates that to a degree uh, because it can be just one key in a multi-key multi-sig. Um, yeah, and I'm, obviously it's just strictly better than than using just a mobile phone. Right, so you can get one of these for really cheap, um, and improve the security of your of your mobile wallet. Hell yeah! So but it'd be great to see more wallets. I know a bunch of wallets are working on, uh, kind of you know, building out a standard here for NFC, and it'd be nice, nice to see that on the sooner end, and particularly cross compatibility would be fantastic, rather than like a bunch of different implementations. Yes. Yeah, we've got a couple of standards that are being worked on right now. Also, um, I'm glad uh, that Peter and NVK's hardware and security skills are better than their spelling because um, he said that card is singing to his phone rather than signing. <laughs> hey, English is his second language. He was born and raised in Brazil. Can you, can you cut the man some slack? Can you, say, can you write that in Portuguese for us? Uh, maybe he should just tweet in Portuguese then, and we'll see. I'm pretty sure 90% of MVK's tweets have a typo in them. So, <laughs> native, Port <laughs> native Portuguese speaker. Just just tweet it in Portuguese, and we'll just press the translate tweet button. <laughs> uh, on to more signal here. Archiving clown world. You're asking how you can boost the live show on Fountain or podcasting 2.0 apps, you can't. We post it to the podcast feeds afterwards, and then after we do that, you can go into the podcasting 2.0 apps and boost from there, um, which particularly is the way I really like using podcasting 2.0 because I either like watching shows um, on video or through a non-podcasting 2.0 app, and then I just open the app, load it up with some sats, and send a boost when I want to support people. It's the way to do it, freaks. But I think this is part of the reason why we've lost some of the signals because you get so goddamn distracted by the group chat that the group chat is the best thing that ever happened to this show, and I will not apologize. And also, <laughs> I want to say just a, a quick disclosure, uh, disclosure, quick warning and reminder that Fountain App is using a custodial wallet. Uh, it's LNPay.co's wallet, so it's a custodial wallet that they don't have control over, but someone, a third party, does. Um, so you, sweep, you do sweep, have sweep. what sweep 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 you do have custodial risk when you're using uh, fountain um, and it's also uh, it is a closed source wallet uh, so you can't verify the code um, I I know the team at fountain have plans in place to try and improve a lot of the trade-offs that are being taken um, and and say and breeze so breeze is non-custodial but as a result it's a, a little bit heavy in terms of processing on on your phone. Um, but both teams are, are, are working through trying to make this UX better and better and uh, the trade-offs better and better. And it is still very new. And it's, it's just cool to see. Um, it's just cool to see this ecosystem starting to really grow and gain some traction. Yeah, I mean, 
so I use the Fountain Wallet for RHR, um, which is just really cool to see. But I also, and I have TFTC, US Citadel Dispatch for those podcasts. Um, when we're receiving sats, they're going straight to nodes that we control. Right? Yeah, same with me for RHR. It just goes to my own node. Yeah. So, so yeah, when, when I, on the receiving side, I'm not custodial. No. Um, but um, when you're using Fountain as a sender, it's custodial. When you're yes. using Breeze as a sender, it's not custodial. Yes. Um, so be aware. But I, I will say, like, you know, if, if you're using Fountain as a sender, like, you're already putting, you're putting sats in there to send it to someone else. So, you know, it's, those sats are, and because of Lightning, you can just fund it, send, boom. So the trade-off isn't as bad, in my opinion, as other custodial wallet solutions. Um, and then if you're earning sats through Fountain, you just withdraw them as quick as possible. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And the, the point I was trying to get to, too, is like for TFTC uh, and you for Citadel Dispatch and RHR, like you're receiving the sats directly to a wallet you control directly from the listeners of the show. Super which cool. is extremely cool. Like, again, like the censorship resistant nature of Bitcoin and the Lightning Network when you actually run your own hardware, run your own node, and control it. Like that is, I mean, again, you think, I go back to the, the clip of Mark Andreessen from a couple of weeks ago when he was trying to describe how podcasters can monetize a Web3 via NFTs. And it just simply doesn't make any sense to even try to go do something like that when podcasting 2.0 already exists. Like that, that vision of like Web3, I hate the meme, but the intention behind it is like a, a giving the ability of individuals and creators to monetize themselves directly from their audience without any middlemen. And you don't need an NFT. You don't need a middleman token outside of sats for that. Like, like what, what Adam I mean, and team yeah, podcast 2.0 have built is it's just taking, and that's the thing. It's taking two different open source technologies in the RSS feed and uh, Bitcoin Lightning Network stack and combining them to create this direct funding mechanism. You don't need a token for it. I'm uh, first of all, I'm hearing rumors that Antenapod is considering integrating podcasting 2.0, which would be awesome to see. Um, Antenapod is my favorite podcasting app, fully open source. Um, you know, one of the interesting things about podcasting 2.0 is it gives an open source project like AntennaPod, all of a sudden they have an ethical monetization scheme too because they can get 1% of the stream um, as sats are happening. So it gives an incentive to the actual podcast app makers to have um, a reliable revenue stream that is ethically sound, that's not based on data surveillance. Um, and the second thing is, I've always been a fan of audience-funded models. Um, they've had existed in the past already. But every single one of them has relied on extremely trusted third parties. Patreon, you know, PayPal, all these different, Substack. you know, GoFundMe, Substack, massive trusted third parties. 
Now, podcasting 2.0 is obviously not completely there yet in terms of actually the way users use it. Um, but it's a massive step in the right direction and it, it is getting better every day. So fantastic to see and cheers to everyone who's working on it and uh, all the freaks who are, are actively engaged in it and, and playing with it and supporting us. Yeah. No, it's, it's going to be crazy when we look back on it because I, I think podcasting 2.0 is going to be massive. Again, since I'm an investor in Fallon, I get updates on uh, like the, the performance of their app and stuff like that. And the, the most recent one, even with the ad model, so like, uh, like we both agree that the ad model is a bit, uh, is not a bit, but it is corrupting content and media distribution on a broader scale, even though we do t- attempt to uh, be very selective with our advertisers have uh, fucked up with that in the past, but you know, we do really want to align with people that, we align with philosophically and ideologically and trust their products. But uh, what's interesting with Fallon, what they turned on recently was this, this pay to or earn by listening. Uh, so like freaks who are listening, some of you freaks who are listening to this episode, probably getting stream sats right now if you're listening on the Fountain app. And then the other thing that really changes the, the ad model is the, the pay to listen to the ads where the advertiser puts a portion of their spend on the Fountain app and says, hey, um, we're going to pay your users to listen to this app or this ad, excuse me, which is, I think it's interesting. What do you think of that model where somebody's listening to know. an ad? That doesn't make sense to me. I think that's like stopgap bullshit. Uh, it, 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 that to me that feels fiat uh, Why do you say that? Because just fuck ads and just go straight audience funding and boom, done. Like the ad model, the ad model is a dying model in my opinion. Um, incentives are better aligned audience funded wise, and uh, it just it just seems like it's it seems like a click farm type of situation, right? It's like, are you even? Like, what is the advertiser getting out of that? They're getting out of someone listening, but like the person just listening to get the extra sats. It's it just it's it's to me that seems like Rube Goldberg bullshit, shitcoin bullshit, fiat bullshit. Um, I don't know. Having an those are my uncensored opinions. I mean, have you? Has there ever been an ad that you like that pushed you to buy something no. that's brought value to your life? No. Ads ads are based no. No. Period. No. All right. The current ad landscape is is mostly focused on data surveillance. Um, there's mostly focused on data monetization. Is mostly focused on trying to shape your opinions and change your your decision making skills. It's mostly a malicious industry, and the incentives are broken because, like, when we talk about the issue, like corporate media is the perfect example because it's at the extreme. Right. And if you talk about like why CNN does what they do or why Fox does what they do, why does MSNBC do what they do? It's because of where they make their fucking money. And that's their big major corporate ad deals. Um, And that's the crux of I I, I think Adam Curry would agree with me on this. I think, you know, I mean, he always says that at at the core, advertising leads to censorship. Um, I think we are personally really good about still being critical of anyone who sponsors a rabbit hole recap. Um, but most people aren't. Most people will blindly follow that ad money. Um, and then just one other thing, 
I just want to be perfectly clear here. Marty is a personal investor of Fountain. Um, yes. I am not an investor of Fountain. Yes. I thought we, we've been clear about that throughout this time. I know. It just gets a little um, confusing because we do have a venture fund that invests in companies. Yeah. This I just want to make it clear because you said it like three times. Yeah. Um, shout out to Slushpool. They mind uh, back-to-back blocks while, while we've been recording here. It's good to see. Stacking sats while we're recording. Feels good. Streaming sats, mining sats, multiple sats, streams freaks. It's addicting. Um, but moving through the list, again, shout out to anybody contributing, be it podcasting 2.0. It is the future. And what I was going to say um, is it will be really cool to look back a decade from now. Podcasting 2.0 is completely normalized and it's the standard. And we'll be able to say, I think we were like one of like the first 10 podcasts on podcasting 2.0, like actually getting sats, maybe top five, like first five like actually receiving sats via podcast 2.0. It'll just be called podcasting at that point. Yeah. We'll just drop uh, 2.0. Yeah. It would, um, that's really going to be cool to look back on when it becomes a standard. There's going to be a standard. lot of things like talking about like, you know, malicious people in the space, deleting tweets and shit. Um, one of my favorite parts of the show is just like week in, week out, just our unadulterated opinions. Uh, that are out there forever. Like, did, did, you know, two and a half years ago, like, do I just, do I agree with everything that I thought two and a half years ago? No, there's a lot of things that I've probably learned lessons from and, and improved on, but that whole history is there. That whole timeline is there. It's this massive times time capsule, right? Um, where we'll just be able to look back and just like pick a week and see like what the fuck was going on that week and where was our heads at? Um, and then now that we have the live chat, which is so fucking awesome. We'll also see where the freaks heads were at at the same time. It's just a really cool. It's just it, it's it's so amazing to think about when even now, just three years, you know, looking back is is pretty fucking cool. But if if you start adding years to that, it gets pretty. We're coming up to four gets years. Heady. Yeah, It'll be four years next month. That's um, pretty crazy. No, and then like. Once you start having kids, then you start thinking, oh shit, like my kids are going to go listen to this stuff at some point. Like, well, like I said in the past, Marty, at least you're not doing porn. Yes. We know you, you really love porn. So there was, no, a, no, there was a trajectory where Marty was like, what would Marty's porn name be? I don't have a dick for porn. We can't have a dick for porn. <laughs> <laughs> you would not. Did not want to see me in a porno. Right. You should have watched Porn Freaks. It, it rots your mind. It takes your soul. It lowers your tea. Stay away. Stop fapping. Retain. I've been on a big retention plan. We're opening up here now. I highly recommend you freaks join. Fucking I'm on the tangent. <laughs> it, uh, it energizes you. Semen retention. Tie, ties on the semen retention game. Highly recommend it. Stop fapping. Stop fapping. <laughs> Start to look at it. Nick Ranchero. <laughs> That'd be Marty's porn name. <laughs> Tander Cox. This is true. Our hand up too. Again, we're opening up here. I have had some ball sunning sessions. It's not a joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it does. It, it, I think it does up that one. as well. Um, 
All right, enough about porno and sunning your balls and retaining. <laughs> I recommend not watching porno, sunning your balls, and, and retaining your porn name would also be Uncle Marty. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, tacos uh, with that great comment. All right, let's get back to the list. Software update. <laughs> we only have one. What's up with the bear market? I thought building was going on in the bear market. We Dude, only have one software, software updates update. are hard to keep track of, man. Aren't you doing the review podcast for Rodolfo now? Was that just like a one-off thing? He just asked me to be a guest for the first one. He hasn't asked me to be a guest for the second one yet. Okay. But also, well, he got all those software updates and then asked me to be a guest. Well, the software update that we have here today is Samurai version 9.9, for, excuse me, version 0.99.99e. Uh, it adds an in-app web view that uses Tor and adds custom note function within transaction detail screen. Um, looking, 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 nothing. The big one is the big one is is if you if you click a transaction to view in Samurai Wallet, it usually goes outside to the browser, which you might not be running Tor, you might not be running a VPN. Now it stays in-app and it goes through Tor still. So it's a nice little, nice little bump for any nice little upgrade for anybody who uses Samurai Wallet. Yes. If you're running Samurai Wallet, want the benefits of these upgrades, of these updates, go download it. Doesn't seem like there's any critical vulnerabilities, so there's no rush to do that. Um, if you want to wait, see people test it out themselves. The real the real answer is is not really laziness on the software updates. I, I think you know, we hit a point there where we just were putting every software update in. And like my goal here is to try and highlight the important ones um, rather than just like have Marty just like read out a bunch of off updates and be like, be aware, freaks. It's just ouch. <laughs> ouch. I mean, we did that for we did that for a couple months there. So yeah. And then he's like, "Don't rush to update if you don't have to update." It's like I, I just it it just was a extra extra lift for not much gain. I feel like. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But we're aware, uh, and I will try and add to the list any major software updates I see. And if you see a major software update that you think should be on Rabbit Hole Recap, send it to us uh, through the various channels. You can send it to us. Thank you. Yes. Um, going through Bitcoin Optech right now, there's an updated alternative to Bit47 reusable payment codes that was released this week. Um, so that's interesting. There was uh, what? Uh, an updated alternative to Bit47 reusable payment codes. Uh, obviously, Bit47 is what Paynims run on, um, requires some interactivity. Uh, in terms of using an operator message uh, when you when you create your pay name and then um, if you want a readable pay name, uh, you need a central server to do that. It seems like a gentleman by the name of Alfred Hodler posted to the Bitcoin dev mailing list uh, was an alternative to this. Hodler scheme would be less likely to leak um, certain information, but it would increase the amount of data a client implementing the protocol would need to learn from the blockchain, making it less suitable for light clients. Um, so I think this is something similar to what Ruben Thompson uh, presented with. Silent payments. payments. 
Yeah, silent payments. I don't think this is silent payments. I think it's a ongoing conversation around that. Um, seems like splices are coming to Lightning Network as well. This is something like D plus plus and others have been working on. I'm pretty excited about splicing on the Lightning Network. Um, so it seems like that's moving forward. Were you reading from Optech? Yeah. Okay, next on the list. Next on the list is Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe uh, is... So this was not specifically Bitcoin-focused, but I thought it was really interesting. Zimbabwe has a shit ton of inflation. Um, they had a failed currency that they got rid of and then switched to dollars. And then in 2019, they switched back to a new currency that is now failing as well. Um, so a lot of people in Zimbabwe are using US dollars. Uh, Zimbabwe is introducing gold coins, um, like official gold coins out of Zimbabwe's government or whatever that you can easily trade uh, for local currency or US dollars. Um, so this is basically the Bitcoin thesis just with gold. Uh, and it's playing out in Zimbabwe right now. Yeah, transition back to a sound money standard using gold. So they're calling the gold coin the Musi Olotonia coin, named after Victoria Falls. It'll be one troy ounce of gold. Uh, will contain one troy ounce of gold. And yeah, so it seems like Zimbabwe is reverting to sound money, or I don't even know if they were ever on a sound money standard. Um, seems like they're, they're getting to it now, though. One of my favorite parts of you, Marty, one of my favorite things about Marty is that you always attempt to pronounce the things that you have never have a chance of pronouncing correctly, but you still try and do it. I just ignore them and don't say the word. But uh, what's the name of the gold coin? Yeah, let me look it up again. Um, pull it up here. Scroll up a little bit. The uh, the Musi or Tonya. Yeah, definitely the correct pronunciation. It might be. Hey, any uh, Zimbabwe <laughs> freaks in, in the chat? Let me know. I'm like looking at the chat now and I'm like looking, I don't want to put. Well, yeah, I mean, thank thank you to all the freaks for the birthday wishes. I really do appreciate it. Happy birthday, sir. Thanks, Marty. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, (laughs) um, This is a reminder. I mean, Cash App Owen, Owen Benjamin, who I've met before, uh, doing incredible things at the Cash App, but he tweeted this out a couple of weeks ago. And this is another thing on that podcast I was on yesterday with with the uh, with the gentleman who got embroiled in the Voyager fuck up. Like a lot of people are just completely unaware of how not only like Bitcoin and cryptocurrency works, but the traditional banking system works as well. Uh, but we just wanted to send out a friendly periodic reminder that. There's currently no requirement for banks and depository institutions in the, the United States to have any reserves. <laughs> so there's the reserve <laughs> ratio is 0%, and it has been since March of 2020 when the Federal Reserve did a lot of manipulating of the facilities. That uh, one, of, one of the things they did was allow BlackRock to uh, facilitate a lot of its corporate bond buying facilities. It 
also reduce the reserve ratio requirement from 10% to 0%. And that was supposed to be temporary. Uh, we're sitting here in July of 2022, more than two years later, and, and that reserve ratio, even in an environment of quantitative tightening and rate raising, is still zero. So uh, just have to remind the freaks and anybody listening out there that the dollar system is just a complete Ponzi. There's there's literally nothing backing it. There is no reserves necessary or required in any of the banks that you're using. Yep. 99% of people are unaware about most things, but including yes. that. Yes. And then and, uh, we have on. Lumia Marks in the comments saying bail-ins. I've been expecting bail-ins for whatever the next collapse is. Um, we'll see if that plays out. I'm not as positive now. Maybe they'll just print money and bail out. But Well, if you're worried about a bail-in, this is a great reason to stack sats and sweep them to addresses that you control with private keys. With private get, your, get, your, get your bank account <laughs> as close to zero as possible. Keep only uh, as much cash as you actually need in your bank account and everything else in sats that you control and the uh, effects of a bail-in will will be significantly reduced for yourself so i mean i want to be surprised if there's bail-ins like i think i've been doing a lot of uh macro reading today and it's i mean it, it's crazy what's going on out there when you consider like the housing market like if you look at ppi so like the producer pricing index here in the United States across all sectors in the month of May was up <clears throat> either between like 15 and like 33%. So when it comes to like energy, food, raw materials, and this is like PPI, not CPI. So this is producer price index, which is a leading indicator of future inflation. And that is hitting breakaway speed uh, within the last few months. And so that, that signals that inflation is only going to continue to increase because as the overall cost of the people producing the uh, final, the uh, finished goods in the economy goes up, that gets passed on via those, those finished goods. But that, that has a bit of a, a lag, a lag to um, when, when the producer price goes up. So the, like the charts, I read uh, in this zero head, or was looking at the zero hedge article today are actually like stunning, just like how how much hockey stick growth in the PPI inflation index has um, has has happened in the first six months of this year. Then you factor that in with the rise in interest rates, um, particularly on mortgages. Uh, if and it, it seems like a lot of people out there had um, adjustable mortgages and that that rate has gone from uh, adjustable car loans to yeah between january and may of this year the average rate went from two and a half percent to six point three percent three six percent i believe and so if you had uh, a mortgage out it went from what percent to what percent two and a half to six point three six brutal yeah um so if you had a a mortgage out on a house worth three hundred and fifty thousand dollars, your um, 
your monthly mortgage payment went from something like $1,300 to $2,100, which when you consider the fact that your average American can't afford an emergency $400 expense without going into debt, um, a six to 700 jump, uh, $700 jump in your monthly mortgage payment is, is something that a lot of people probably can't stomach. And so, um, when you take that into consideration with the rising costs in food and energy as well, like it seems pretty glaringly obvious that we're going to be rolling into recession here again to prop up the liberal world order. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, we discussed it last week. Like if an idiot like me could predict this type of stuff in April of 2020 is astonishing that the powers that be can't, uh, weren't able to see this or portray uh, that they weren't able to see this. Uh, and right now, everybody's like, oh, maybe we'll get a recession, maybe we won't. But like, I think it's becoming very apparent that we're probably already in a recession. And what we should really be discussing is whether or not we're going to get a depression globally. Mandibles. Yeah. So uh, the key difference between a bail-in and a bailout is a bailout is socialized um, basically through inflation. Government money bails out banks. Everyone, you know, basically takes a hit through inflation tax. Um, bail-ins are on bank-specific case-by-case basis that affects <laughs> depositors proportionally within a bank. Um if we do see bail-ins, I will say the positive lining of that is with bailouts, people tend to not really learn their lesson. They took a certain type of risk using a specific bank. Um, they got bailed out. Losses were socialized. With bail-ins, people will truly learn what custodial risk is. Um, they will have touched the stove and they will seek out money that they can truly own themselves and control themselves. Um, so there's a silver lining there. Yeah, no, yeah, it's a very visible and tangible lesson. You wake up one day and oh, they just decided to take twenty percent of what I had in my bank account. Basically, what we're seeing with the different crypto companies is basically equivalent to balance. Yeah, 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 but it's like the cryptocurrencies like lost the money. I think it's different. Like, I mean, the bank loses the money too in, in a bail-in situation. Yeah. And so why may we need to go to a bail-in situation? Uh, and are we getting close to that? I think that's a big theme in the markets uh, this week and, and over the last few weeks is the stress levels in the corporate debt markets. Obviously, we've... Um, talked about that iShares high yield corporate bond index uh, over the last couple months that still um, hasn't uh, hit like free fall on the chart yet, but it is, it is still going down pretty steadily. It's not a slope you would want to ski down. And it seems like uh, if it does break like it has in 2008 and again in 2020, that it could potentially break lower than where 
it reached in 2008. But if you look at the credit default swap for Citigroup, so if you talk about bail-ins and in the banking sector, uh, specifically, Citi is one of the biggest banks in the world, and they're the credit default swaps on city are increasing pretty significantly um, uh, approaching 08 levels. And so credit default swap is essentially an insurance policy on in a product's failure in this case, Citigroup. So to see you know, the cost of the insurance policy on city's failure increasing, um, basically leads the markets to believe that many people think city's going to fail at some point soon, um, which could be, oh, this is credit, credit Suisse, excuse me, not city bank. Sorry for any freaks working at city, uh, credit Suisse, which is, um, another one of the largest, <laughs> banks. which is a different bank. <laughs> yes. A different bank, um, from a different country, but, um, credit Suisse, excuse me, they're, CDSs have increased significantly. So when it comes to corporate debt, it seems like some in the banking sector are under some duress. And um, yeah, it's getting frothy out there. We've had a couple of good days in the market. I mean, NASDAQ was screaming today. Bitcoin was screaming today. Um, uh, I wouldn't be surprised these are dead cat bounces. Um. So, I mean, you you did skip one thing on the list uh, that I just noticed. Bitcoin Policy Institute, they submitted, there was a request by the Department of Commerce for more information um, about basically the U.S. Uh, competitiveness uh, in, the, in the global market in terms of, they said, for digital assets. Um, one thing to note from this report that I really like to see um, is it seems like BPI took their gloves off a bit. Um, and it's like no more Mr. Nice Guy in terms of uh, proof of stake networks. And, uh, you know, so a lot of the stakeholders of, of different shitcoin networks will actively go to governments, including our own, and basically lobby against Bitcoin and proof of work while stating uh, that we're all in this together and that Bitcoiners are toxic. Um, so in this in this in this report by BPI, they legit just straight up. They were like, you know, they they attacked those networks, and they said that they 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 hold nothing on Bitcoin. And they talked about uh, the different the diff the differences between Bitcoin and uh, these these other chains. Yes, I noticed that as well. Um, props for props are doing that regard, but also need to call them out where I think they're setting Bitcoin mining up for failure, which is this narrative that Bitcoin's going to usher in this renewable revolution, which I just don't think is is true. I think Bitcoin miners are certainly taking advantage of renewable energy, but it's because that energy is typically stranded and heavily subsidized by the government. And I think maybe it does incentivize the um, increased production of these quote-unquote renewables. Like, again, I don't think we should be using the term renewable. These things aren't really renewables. Hey, do they talk about that in this report? Yeah. Yeah, you can search Control-F, renewable, green. We have argued elsewhere at length that Bitcoin could provide instrumental, prove instrumental 
in accelerating renewable energy production, stabilizing our new greener grid and curbing methane emissions while providing creative alternatives to fossil fuel powered heating system, accelerating renewables. Um, I just worry because there's a very, (laughs) very, uh, a material chance, a possibility that we wake up in five years and find that the amount of Bitcoin mining that's being done via natural gas and coal is going to be higher than what it is today in the United States. And that's just this whole narrative, like, don't worry, Bitcoin's going to use renewables predominantly um, and will we'll help transition to all this. Number one, I don't think it's smart to transition grid systems to quote-unquote renewables and into greener grids that makes them less reliable. And then number two, like I, ju- I just don't think in the context of Bitcoin mining, specifically when it comes to fuel sources, I don't think that uh, we're going to see a... Like, I think there's going to be more natural gas and more coal miners here in the United States uh, in five years, within the next year and the next decade. And so I really don't like this messaging and this narrative, especially for people speaking directly with politicians of Washington, D.C., that, uh, that that are saying, hey, don't worry, Bitcoin mines is going to be renewable because I, I think what they're setting the industry up for uh, at some point in the future is uh, these politicians appoint at all the miners leveraging coal and natural gas and saying, hey, you, you told us this was going to be renewable. Like, you lied to us. And then that just creates a whole narrative headache in the future. Well, I mean, I think uh, what everyone here can agree on is that Bitcoin incentivizes the use and development of the cheapest, most efficient energy sources. And uh, the disagreement basically lies in what will be the cheapest and most efficient sources, right? Yes. Um, I mean, without subsidies. And that's the thing with wind and solar, too. You can never... I mean, it's just a, a goddamn fact. The, the sun only, unless you're in Norway or something, the sun is only up for for twelve hours out of the day. Well, Maybe in Norway, less. Norway for a bunch of months, there's no sun, but in the other months, yeah. there's twenty four hours of sun. Yeah, it can never like this whole levelized cost of energy metric that a lot of people lean in to is a completely bunk metric because it really doesn't highlight the the overall cost that somebody would incur if they actually wanted to use electricity 24-7, 365, the LCOE um, basically produces a cost when the energy is being produced. When it's not being produced, the the cost of finding an alternative source uh, that would allow you to produce electricity and use it when uh, wind and solar isn't is not factored into that LCOE metric. And so a lot of people look at the levelized cost of energy and point to that in the wind and solar industry and say, oh, that's the it, it's cheapest on an LCOE basis. But again, that hides uh, the costs that are incurred when that electricity isn't being provided because uh, wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining and an individual's forced or a corporation's forced to go seek out alternative fuel sources that add cost to their overall um, operations. So 
said my piece on that. I mean, I'm very happy the Bitcoin Policy Institute's getting out there shooting on proof of stake in favor of proof of work. I just, again, I really don't think that the Bitcoin mining industry or anybody advocating on behalf of Bitcoin on Capitol Hill should be catering to this this green movement. I think the green movement has put society at large globally in an extremely precarious situation. I do not think we should be catering to the hysterics. I do not think their language makes any sense. I don't think it's indicative of the technologies they're bringing to the market. I think trying to cater um, to their framing is, is a strategic misstep that, again, will come back to bite us in the ass in the future if we don't course correct. Because I know for certain that there's going to be significantly more natural gas mining and significantly more coal mining here in the United States moving forward. What do you think the current energy mix is? It's um, a good question. Is it know. still mostly hydro? I would imagine. Um, most of the mega farms up in Canada, up in Scandinavia, uh, are all using hydro. I mean, because I know, like in China, it was there was a lot of hydro, right? It was like a coal hydro mix, depending yeah, on weather I mean, you had, season, right? Yeah, you had the great hash rate migration in China year in and year out when wet season arose. Um, and with that being said, it's actually a funny topic. Again, it ties perfectly into this discussion, which is the fact that the EU came out yesterday and on a whim was like, "All right, nuclear and gas are now considered green." And so they're. And there's another thing that Denver Bitcoin posted, which like uh, biomass fuel, which is basically just burning trees, is considered renewable. Um, so I mean, he posted. I forget. Uh, what the specific post was, but basically we're like exporting all these trees to Europe so they can meet their renewable goals. Um, so Europe's like burning our forests in the sake of the environment. Yeah, it's all, again, it's like, I've said it many times in the newsletter on this show, on TFTC, this isn't about, these people don't care about the environment. They care about control. They want to control you. They can control uh, the lower substrate of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and make you dependent on them, they being the kleptocratic power structure uh, of despotic politicians and World Economic Forum types. They can control your fuel source, what you eat, your money via CBDCs. They can control you. And they will LARP about um, the environment being something that humanity needs to preserve and prevent from being destroyed, uh, uh, but really don't care about the environment at the end of the day, as, as is indicative of them going around the world, uh, lecturing all of us about this on their private jets and, and yachts. Uh, it's about control at the end of the day. I mean, uh, it, it's working. They're, they're getting getting a lot of control in the realm of energy with energy shortages, people are getting desperate and they're forming lines uh, where the government's saying, here, here's, uh, here's something that you need that we're providing you. Now you need to do this, go download your CBDC wallet. Um, obviously we talked about it last week, but the, the protests in the Netherlands have continued and are only getting stronger. And they've actually spread to other countries like Italy and Poland as farmers are standing up and saying, hey, we're not 
going to allow you to just indiscriminately and arbitrarily tell 30% of us that we have to shut down our operations. Um, and so that plays into that as well. The, the Netherlands environmental agency is, is using the 2030 net zero goal as the excuse for just showing up to 30% of the farmers in Deutschland, or not Deutschland, it's Germany, in the Netherlands and saying, uh, hey, you need to shut down your operations. I know this farm has been in uh, your family for for centuries, but um, we need to save the planet and you need to shut down and you can't produce beef and uh, you need to go into your pod in the city. We're going to give you some bug patties. Uh, it's happening. Oh, yeah. Shout out to the protesters in uh, the Netherlands. Yeah, and I really, again, I think somebody mentioned this. I've been leaning into this phrase in the, the newsletter specifically, and Rodolfo used it here in this tweet too. But really, I mean, again, it comes from like Anne Rand and uh, Atlas Shrugged, but really highlighting the fact that a lot of the major decisions in the realm of energy, food, monetary policy, and other centrally planned areas of the global economy are being made by unproductive individuals who actually don't produce anything but words and pieces of paper. They've never built anything in their lives. In a lot of the cases, they're the unproductive class that's never toiled uh, on the land, that's never got their hands dirty, never actually gone through the process of uh, planting a crop, harvesting that crop, coordinating with logistics companies and wholesalers to get that crop to market. And then uh, these are unproductive politicians who have um, essentially smile fucked their way to their position, not never doing a lot of hard work in their life. Uh, So we have, when society has gotten to the point where you have this unproductive lawmaking class sort of controlling everything uh, and telling the productive class that they're stupid and they just shut down. That is when things have completely broken or ass backwards. And that is what we're seeing right now globally, particularly in the Netherlands where the, the unproductive class there is arbitrarily saying 30% of farms need to need to shut down. Did you see Bitcoin Q&A's tweet about uh, if someone's going to do a Bitcoin fundraiser, not make the same mistakes as the Canadian one? I did not see that, but yes. I will echo those those sentiments. And uh, uh, we specifically did a dispatch on it uh, in the aftermath that goes from start to finish. If you're trying to raise Bitcoin donations in an adversarial environment, uh, that's episode 57. Um, So if you are considering doing Bitcoin donations um, and you're connected to those protests, uh, consider listening to that first. Please, please do not just like dive in naively and, and make a bunch of mistakes. Go listen to that rip. Go read uh, Bitcoin Q&A's guides. Um, brush up on Paynims, Samurai Wallet, CoinJoins, uh, all that good stuff. Uh, especially if you're going to do, if you're going to do a Bitcoin fundraiser for the Dutch farmers, um, yeah, it doesn't seem like that's getting covered in the mainstream. And 
like I mentioned earlier, it does seem like it is spreading a bit too. Yeah, I mean, I see it all over Twitter, but I don't. I have no idea. Yeah, my Twitter uh, feed is is predisposed to show me those stuffs, those those types of things. So, same. I wouldn't know, same. but it would not surprise me if corporate media is not covering it. Incentives. And speaking of corporate media, here's one rare glimpse of them covering something that usually people don't really like to talk about, which is cloud seeding. Uh, Australia has gone through a lot of droughts. Uh, they're having pretty epic droughts right now. I'm pretty sure this clip is from a few years ago. We're not droughts. They're having massive flooding, the opposite of droughts. Um, I'm pretty sure this clip's from a few years ago, but what it does highlight is that the technology exists and has been used in the past, um, which is cloud seeding, where you have the government or some agency literally trying to manipulate uh, the weather. Uh, so just wanted to highlight this because, the again, going back to the point of a lot of what these kleptocratic elite do is to control you, whether it be in the realm of energy, food, money. Um, they can use, they can manufacture weather events too to, to drive fear, um, to, to use that as a lever to control you as well. Um, so we'll play this as a short clip. It's only 30 seconds. cloud seeding in Australia. It's been documented. It's happened before. A lot of flooding going over there now. There's a lot of Australians and others out there who are um, interested to discover if there's been any cloud seeding uh, in the area in recent weeks and months. So just be aware. This technology exists. We also had the uh, the CERN uh, high, or what the fuck is it called? The thing that blasts protons together. That, that turned back on today. The Hadron Collider? The Hadron Collider. That turned back on earlier this week. Um, have you noticed any Mandela effects? Any rips in the universe? I have not. Have you? I can't say that I have. Not yet. No. I just have to say, like, if, if someone on Twitter was like, I'm not traveling to Europe because of CERN. Like is that us winning or are you are you are we losing or winning in that situation? If I mean I wouldn't not travel to Europe because of CERN. Like if you're if you're sitting in fear because of this thing that's happening over in Europe. Oh damn, dude. Um Large Hadron Collider. We've got some breaking news here. Do we? Is it real breaking news or is it fake engagement breaking news? That seems real. Um, looks like Peter Woola has stepped down as a Bitcoin core maintainer. He's given up his, he removed his key from the trusted key set up at Bitcoin core 30 minutes well, ago. Hopefully he comes back as a NIM. 
would love that. Um, it was remove my key from trusted keys. Yeah, it looks like. Well, shout out to Peter for all the great work he's done. True legend. Grateful that we've had him working on Bitcoin for so long. Yeah. Uh, true legend. Lipsec P. 256K is uh, one of the most important libraries of Bitcoin Core. On top of that, he's done did a bunch of work on Taproot and stuff like that. Um, we'll be interested to see if he elaborates on why he wanted to remove his key um, that enabled him to be a Bitcoin core maintainer. Uh, so hopefully maybe we'll have something to talk about next week in that regard, but very interesting to see. Is that breaking news? Is that like, that's real breaking news. Yeah. That's real breaking news. I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, we'll see though. Let's let some time pass. Matthew, we've been here for two and a half hours. I've been, yeah, I've been rambling a bit. It's my first time back on the, in the Jersey shore. I'm a little out of my element right now, even though I'm back in an element I was in for a year and a half. Uh, <laughs> a little bit out of my element, back in my element. Uh, well, it was a good rip. I look forward to seeing y'all in person next week. Look forward to ripping it in person next week. Um, should be a good time. And I look forward to showing you the studio. It's going to be a fucking fire. Can't wait to see it. Can't wait to see Bitcoin Park. Can't wait to give you a hug in person. Uh, it's been a minute. Freaks, it's been a minute. Freaks, thank you for joining. Again, if you're listening via podcasting 2.0 compatible app and you're boosting, we thank you for that. Um, we really appreciate that you're getting value out of this we hope we're delivering that trying to get trying to get the signal out there matt matt you lit a fire under my ass with those comments earlier saying we were more high signal we were so much more high signal how we need to it's okay it's important to be we should hold ourselves to a higher standard than everyone else i think that's what like if 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 you're going to be critical of other people if 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 people are going to be if you're going to be critical of other people, you have to be, you have to hold yourself to even a higher standard, I think. Um, and that's how we improve. So. Agreed. Agreed. Um, all right. No, now I'm thinking of ways how we can improve the signal on the show. So again, you lit a fire under my ass freaks. If we're never providing you signal, please let us know if we ever slip in your eyes. Um, but yeah, um, I will see you in person next week, Matt. I'm going to go enjoy a weekend at the Jersey Shore here. I hope you enjoy your weekend as well. Any, any big plans? No, I'm just gearing up. Like uh, My plan is to rip a shit ton of podcasts, a ton of dispatches next week. A lot of people coming into town. It's just going to be just constant uh, chilling and ripping and meeting, drinking and eating discussing Bitcoin. So I'm just going to try and rest up this weekend uh, and prepare myself because I'm already preemptively exhausted, uh, but in the best way possible. Hell yeah. Well, 
I'm going to mentally prepare to. I'll, uh, I'll see you next week. And freaks, that's all we got this week. Peace and love.